Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas y Caballeros. Welcome back to a special Leaving the Ring edition, which is the Stack Up Show, which is a show about where we get fighters from the past and stack them up to the fighters of today's generation and how well would they do against them. Uh, so our two picks for today with me, myself, and Mill Carr, my co-host here on Leaving the Ring and the Stack Up Show, is Joe Calzaghe and uh, Ike Corte. Pretty excited about the lineup here. Uh, for these two guys here, Milkar, I don't know about you, but oh, yeah. about talking about how how well would they do against um, guys like David Benavides, uh, you know, Saúl Canelo Alvarez, who's really honestly has impressed everybody since his move to 168. Um, you know, I mean, even Caleb Plant, even though we get a lot, like we're getting flooded right now on our Leaving the Ring Gmail about how boring he, how boring he is and how nobody really cares to ever see him. Um, <laughs> even he's got a fight, even though he's got a fight coming what up. What about the Fagan Butts fight, Dave? The Fagan Butts fight. That was exciting as right. hell. You didn't like that fight? <laughs> you didn't like the Fagan Butts fight? I did. I mean, <laughs> what, 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 could, what could we say about it? <laughs> you know? Um, and, you know, even the whole... I mean, like, even you can even bring in the prospects at 168 right now, you know. Uh, yeah, think about this, Joe Calzaghe, who uh, he just threw me off with that man. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no worries. Uh, Joe Calzaghe, who who left and retired, uh, you know, with his career with a solid 46 and zero. You know, he only had 32 knockouts. Uh, his really defined fights was against Bernard Hopkins, which was long overdue, and uh, Roy Jones Jr., which you can argue, you know, both men were really on the way out. But let's not remember, let's not forget, Bernard Hopkins went on with his career, winning titles, and was considered very dangerous. He ended up oh, like inheriting a new nickname, the Alien. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. Well, he also fought Mikel Kessler in Kessler's prime. Well, that's and, what you know, Jeff Lacey. He, he took Mikel Kessler's O, and he totally sunned Jeff Lacey. He did, dude. He did. I and mean, he had him on his knee, and he, he, he was giving him that spanking. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he ended J- Jeff Lacey's career. There was no longer uh, Jeff Lacey. You know, I don't know what happened to him. He definitely just uh, ethered him, as what Joe Habib yes, would did. say, you know, yeah. and stuff. But Chicano Prophet, ¿qué pasó? A-Rod, what's going on, brother? So we're going to go down on our breakdown. First, we're going to go up with Joe Calzaghe. I was a massive Joe Calzaghe fan. Chicano Prophet calling him Cal Sloppy. <laughs> oh, <whoa. laughs> That's Which, what hey, Jeff Lacey said. Jeff Lacey said that. He did. The pity pat was not going to work against me, is what Jeff Lacey had said uh, before entering in the ring. Joe, uh, shoe shine boxy. What's up, brother? How you doing, man? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I was a fan. I, 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 I knew, I, I remember back when he was 168 cause he retired out at 175, but at 168, the, the pool was really shallow. There wasn't a whole lot, you know, uh, his best wins were like over, uh, you know, like Roy Jones, Bernard Hopkins, uh, you know, uh, 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 guy we just mentioned right now, I just went blank for a moment here, you know, um, 
But I mean, if you really think about it right now in 2020, you got to say the crops are a lot more dangerous. Would you say they're a milk car? Would you think that this crop of fighters right now, 168 that are looming around in that pool are far more dangerous than the guys that Calzaghe was looking at when he was reigning uh, as the unified champion at 168? Yeah, I I would say so. Um, Definitely Canelo is. I mean, um, you look at the guys that he was kind of fighting, whether it was, uh, I remember Omar Sheikha from ESPN uh, Friday Night Fights fame. And, uh, you know, guys like uh, somebody else that he fought there. Oh, Saki Obiga would have been another one. Right. And he fought Peter Manfredo Jr. Um, Which would make and, no sense uh, when he did fight him. You know, if we if the internet was, well, I think Twitter, no, Twitter wasn't around yet when that happened. Just YouTube. YouTube was kind of the explosion. And I remember, I remember doing a video about that. And I wasn't too excited about Peter Manfredo, who came from the Contender Series, uh, getting a title shot against Joe Calzaghe, but I, I, really, honestly, that was really kind of what was out there for him to pick at, uh, just because the fact that he had to move up. He would have to move up to face Bernard Hopkins or even uh, Roy Jones Jr., you know, which should have happened sooner than later. But it was uh, really up to the Americans. They didn't want to go over the seas, overseas. And at that time, let's admit here, uh, going overseas really didn't do much for an American fighter. The money was at Vegas, and that's where a lot of like UK guys wanted to go. Ricky Hatton came down to fight Floyd Mayweather, you know, and Joe Joe Calzaghe would have done that. Uh, it was really brave of Jeff uh, Jeff Lacey, and it cost him not just a, a loss, but it cost him his whole career. The guy was never the same again. No, that that fight could have taken place in Florida. It would have been the same deal. Um, I'm I'm obviously a huge fan of the Italian Dragon. And I'm also a huge fan of his father, Enzo. Enzo, who, who's the original. He had no experience in boxing, but became such a good trainer. I um, know. Reading books, visiting gyms, learning from experienced guys, and then tying his background as a jazz musician yes. into kind of the rhythm of, of fighting, which Absolutely. I thought was a very interesting and new way of, of looking at boxing training. Absolutely. Yeah, If you when you think about like Lomachenko's dad, you got to think about Enzo uh, Calzaghe first because uh, that guy was, uh, man, you talk about jazz. His son had jazz feet, but he had like techno hands, bro. Straight oh, up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. You know? Yeah. So let's get down. Let's get down in here on the stack up. Uh, how do they stack up? Joe Calzaghe right now here on Leaving the Ring. How does he stack up against the young guns here at today, 2020? Uh, let's bring it up right now here on the Stack Up Show. Oh, nope, that's Ike. Wrong guy. Well, yes. There we go. Ike, yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll go a little later about Ike Corte at Welterweight. Uh, we're going to see how he stacks up with the crop of fighters here in 2020. But let's go Joe Kazagi, super middleweight, who owned all the titles. He was a unified title list there at the time when he reigned, um, you know, at 168. You got, Caleb, mm-hmm. you got Caleb Plant. You got David Benavides. You got Billy Joe Saunders, which you hate when I say BJ Saunders because he blows. Uh, but And then you got Saul Canelo Alvarez. Uh, <laughs> wild card matches, yeah. though. You got Berlanga, Edgar Berlanga's out there. Uh, David Morel, Morel, who just fought uh, this, this. I was big and big time impressed by him on, on Saturday. On Saturday on PBC. He Who's noticed on, and put on a clinic. He did, dude. He, which he's on Raw Boxing. He's going to be on Raw Boxing. Uh, Raw, uh, 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 Ranger's going to be That's interviewing him. 
So that should be coming on the leaving the ring uh, rotation. But, you know, so there's a lot going on at 168, man. When you think about what's happening in the lightweight division, in the flyweight division, super flyweight division, even the heavyweight division, the welterweight division, middleweight division, you got to look at the super middleweight, guys. There's a lot of stuff going on there. There's a lot of potential big fights. If they all could just agree on meeting each other, uh, we can have a lot of explosion for 2021. But let's go first off here. Amilcar, what do you think? Joe Kazaki versus Caleb Plant. There's a lot of similarities, man. Which ones do you want to point out? What do you think is similar between those two? And what do you think isn't similar between Joe Kazaki and Caleb Plant? All right. Can you see me, Dave? I can see you. All right. Well, you remember this, right? Hands behind his back and going like that. Oh, bit. yeah. Definitely. I see a lot of that versus Caleb Plant. I see Caleb Plant getting royally embarrassed, as my man just said in the chat, about uh, Peter Manfredo Jr. Sorry, Caleb, but I, I, I really respect J Joe's skills here. And um, I see him punishing him uh, when he needs to and boxing to either a 12-round decision or a late TKO. Hmm. Wow. Really? Late TKO? Oh, yeah. I don't know yeah. about the TKO. I'll tell you this. I think what Joe... I think put it I, on you when he had to. I agree with you. I think that the hand speed is far more superior because the one thing with Caleb is that we haven't seen him be able to really kind of overwhelm anybody with his hand speed of worth, right? Anybody know that we could say like, oh, shit, he could actually probably match up Joe Kawasaki in hand speed. Joe's kind of showed that he could do everything with a subpar opponent to an elite opponent. There's there's oh, yeah. no in between. He 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 is who he is. Like what he says he's gonna do, he actually really follows through. Caleb Plant, we haven't seen that yet. Yes, he's tweeted out that he's the best 168, but I'm not sure if you are yet because you won't fight anybody Maybe. of the likes out there that are on the category we have right here on the screen of, of uh, the stack up show. So we don't know. So I'm gonna have to assume, just like what you did right now, Amokar, is that Joe Kawasaki goes out there. And I think he possibly just gives him a spanking so embarrassing that it's going to let the, let the American know that he's not up and ready to uh, step in. Uh, he shouldn't have done that going in against the Brit. I may be wrong, but you got to fight people better than Mike Lee and Vincent Faginbutz to convince me that you can beat a guy like Joe Calzaghe. <laughs> That's for sure, man. Up next just is saying. David Benavides with Joe Calzaghe. Big Joe Calzaghe, fast hands, fast feet, uh, great head movement. Uh, went to the body, beautiful, and came back up. We used to call it painting, punt, uh, you know, painting the brush, the way he would go to the body, come right back to that head. Uh, against David, David Benavides, who also got good hand speed, puts combinations together, but could you realistically see David Benavides, if he makes weight and he stays away from that cocaine, does he have a legitimate chance of beating Joe Calzaghe at 168 there, Milkar? What do you think, man? Um, right now, I'd have to say no. Uh, a few years from now, it's a maybe. I mean, he's only 24 right now. We're talking about the prime version of Calzaghe, although even the past prime version of Calzaghe that we saw really literally embarrassed Roy Jones Jr. the way Roy Jones Jr. embarrassed other people. Uh, I see giving a lot of guys problems, but definitely a prime Joe Galzaghi. David, David Benavides has the intangibles to do very well at being a, almost 6'2", I think. But he, again, he just hasn't faced the, the competition of any guy even close to 
to Galzaghi. No disrespect to Andre Durrell. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, a guy that went the distance with uh, Ronald Gabriel when he was champion, um, you know, and it being, a, while it was a unanimous decision, it still went the distance. I, I don't really know if uh, if that's a guy who who's going to be competitive or who's, has what it takes to beat Joe Kalzaghi, at least now. Hmm. I like what you, uh, Shoeshine Boxing put here. Benavides and Kalzaghi is a Shoeshine classic. You got to agree with that. Oh, because, yeah. You know, David Benavides does Shoeshine a lot. Uh, and between those Shoeshines, though, he put he would put in those hard punches that would actually hurt his opponent. Joe Kalzaghi wasn't yeah. known like that. He was just razor sharp. His hands were quick. Uh, he really honestly would kind of shoeshine the soul out of you, out of his opponents. Uh, and they kind of just, uh, you know, like it was weird because he, it didn't look like he was sitting on his punches. But when he faced like uh, Jeff Lacey, you got to admit, I mean, Jeff Lacey's face was just like slowly being deteriorated. You know what I mean? Like there was like new bruises and stuff just showing up. After a round, and you're like, holy smoke, Joe's got some punches there. He could put some punches on there when he wants to. Um, I just oh, yeah. see this such a different fight because David Benavides is a guy that likes to sucker you in. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't have an issue of putting his back against the ropes. Um, he likes to do that a lot, which his dad is kind of stressed. He doesn't like him to do. Uh, you know, um, but here's the thing, though. Joe Calzaghe is a guy that makes you look for him. So... You know, would David Benavides be able to catch up to Joe Calzaghe? Because it would have to be reversed. I don't see Joe chasing down David Benavides the way David Benavides has done to his recent opponents. You know, is make them come forward. I kind of see Joe Calzaghe forcing Dave uh, to to enforce the action, and then him getting countered the whole night in the, in all the in all the rounds. But I gotta agree with Jesus. I think there's a strong possibility that Benavides could. Drop. I don't know if he can knock out Joe Calzaghe because he's shown he's got a really tough beard. Uh, yeah. I think he could be. I, and I think he could be dropped. And recovery skills. Really high. He gets up skills. after he gets knocked knocked down and keeps fighting. And to your point, David, you know Calzaghe actually does pretty well when guys are against the ropes. Um, you only need to look at at guys like Lacey and Jones that kind of tried to rope a dope a little bit, and Joe Calzaghe was having none of it. Oh, he did the peekaboo to them. You know, oh, yeah. right when they're up on those ropes and they got that high guard, he would peek his head right through the, you know, between the sheets is what I would call it. You know, put your head between the sheets and say hi to your opponent. And he did that really well. Yeah. <laughs> Philly Irish uh, uh, Devo says Hopkins beat Calzaghe. Hmm, where was I at when that happened? Um, I don't know. <laughs> drinking some chelas. I, I, <laughs> I'm gonna have to rewatch that there, Philly. Oh man, it was Without... a close, it was a close it was a close fight for sure. But let me ask fight. everybody in the chat this: How many times do guys from Europe come over to the United States and get gift decisions? It doesn't really happen. That's, that's often. yeah. Really think about it. I mean, it was was it that or was it that a lot of people in the boxing industry just wanted to see Bernard Hopkins lose? Especially with his comment with, uh, you know, uh, no white boy would beat me. You well, know? he got beat in that night. He got beat that night. You know, he definitely did. <laughs> uh, Philly says, one of Boxy's biggest robberies. I don't know about yeah. that. I'd I'm, have to say, honestly, I don't even think Bernard Hopkins would, would agree with that. I wow. think Bernard Hopkins would say that the Jermaine Taylor loss 
was the big was his the biggest robbery. That's when he lost all his titles at, at middleweight as undisputed champ. That's in a fight that true. I thought he definitely won. Well, I could tell you this, you know, uh, uh, Philly, that there is another another addition that we're going to be adding to Leland Ring, which is the run back, uh, where we put up fights that have been left with this controversial, controversial uh, uh, stigma and where we can go back and look at each round. Uh, I'm going to have to invite you for that one, bro. Let's watch it. Let's sit down and watch it and break down each round and see if you're right. Uh, I would have because I haven't seen, you know what? I haven't seen that fight in quite some time, but I do remember it was a good back and forth fight. Uh, like I said, Bernard Hopkins, you know, I remember a lot of fans were like, well, Bernard's over the hill. He's not the same guy. But then you saw what he did later on. Like he continued on with his career until he met, uh, you know, the blue collar worker, Joe Smith Jr. You know, and that and we all know how that kind of wrote, how that ended up for Bernard Hopkins and stuff. But yeah, I definitely like to see, uh, rewatch that and um, see if there was a little bit, if the, if the rounds should have been a little closer for b-hop there but i think we're in agreement here about david benavides man i want to move on to <laughs> bj bj saunders does he blow does he blow out uh joe calzaghi here in car <laughs> oh man that's so disrespectful come on does oh, he man. does he well, give him hey does he blow the horn of, of, of joe calzaghi <laughs> I got uh, <laughs> not not going to shock anybody here, uh, but before I give my my thoughts on this one, you know, uh, those of you who are familiar with boxing out there in the UK will know that like, uh, well, this guy doesn't really like many people at all, but um, Carl Frosch really doesn't like Joe Calzado. Oh, dude, he wanted him bad. Yeah, bad. And um, Joe Calzaghi, obviously. I don't think ever shied away from an opponent, um, but it was business at the same the time. And why would you fight uh, a guy like that when you can go to the United States and garner a bigger audience and take on um, U.S. fighters that people consider to be kind of legends and great, which is what he did instead of fighting Calzaghi. Plus, he, sorry, uh, the Cobra, Frosh, and ended up moving in weight, obviously, because uh, – the Cobra was at 168 and really never moved up from 168. So uh, having said that, I only brought that up because this is an, an, a proposal of two guys from the UK and mm. two southpaws. But I, I mean, look, again, I'm sorry, but David Lemieux, I guess you could say that at 160, um, uh, his biggest win was against... Um, Sometimes on my blind just goes blank. With Andy him. Lee, sorry, Andy Lee, who he knocked out at mm -hmm. 160. Um, but at 168, uh, he hasn't really done anything. Uh, Joe Calzaghi was the boss of 168. Um, Billy Joe Saunders, kind of a fringe contender that I, the fringe champion, right. sorry, who I actually think is is more of a middleweight than he is a 168 pounder. Uh, yeah, I agree uh, with you on that. I do agree with yeah, you, you know, on that big time. Yeah, so two southpaws, one a natural 168-pounder, one a natural 168-pounder. I think Calzaghi definitely has better hand speed and power than Billy Joe. Um, I think they both have very good boxing skills, but also Calzaghi was very disciplined um, throughout his career uh, in terms of his training and stuff. So I definitely have to give the win to to Calzaghi on, on this one. And 
you know, um, earlier on in the chat, uh, we had, uh, who was it again? Let me get back to the chat. Someone said that that Joe Calzaghe's fight against uh, Caleb Plant would be boring. Given that two of the, these two guys are southpaws, uh, and given um, Billy Joe Saunders' style, I, I would agree that this fight, oh, it's Jesus, actually, that this fight would, would probably be more, more uh, boring, more boring I, I, than all of the other fights that we've yeah. seen so far. Saunders would definitely blow the place with his boringness style. Um, that's I'm just saying, I, I you know, I, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> I think that because you know, I think this is the thing is that Saunders would try not to engage and he would try to make mockery of, of Joe Calzaghe. Uh, but Joe Calzaghe output of punches would probably be the highlight uh, for the judges. You know what I mean? He would be the actual seek and destroyer in that match. Um, and I, I definitely think that Joe Calzaghe, it would be a really boring fight, but it wouldn't be on Joe Calzaghe's part. I think, you know, uh, BJ Saunders just doesn't show any interest of, of trying to get marked up and just tries to survive so that he could say he fought the great Joe Calzaghe because that's just the kind of prick that he is, right? Let's be yeah. honest. So I think that, you know, um, Shoeshine Boxy put, why why didn't Sergio Martinez meet Joe Calzaghe a missed opportunity for a great catchweight fight? Well, I'll tell you why. Joe wasn't looking to fight anybody. He uh, wasn't even looking at the middleweight division. He was looking for the big payday fights here in America. And Sergio Martinez didn't bring that. I mean, remember when Sergio kind of broke into that uh, middleweight scene was because Cali Pavlik needed a needed a, a fight uh, because uh, Paul Williams, uh, that all fell apart. You know, Sergio Martinez wasn't supposed to win against Cali Pavlik. Okay, so they were still trying to build up uh, uh, Sergio Martinez. Uh, and then what it was was HBO was trying to knock him out of the of, of the middleweight contingency by setting them up, by giving them to Paul Williams, doing that catch-up weight thing. So in all honesty, Sergio Martinez, I've said this numerous times, this guy never had any control of his middleweight career. And Lou DeBella could to attest to that. He would come on and we'd talk about that. Uh, same thing, we had Sergio Martinez on the show. And I remember one time Sergio Martinez says, like, like even though I have the title, I don't have the say of who I'm going to fight. Or, or if I if I enter into the ring first, or what weight's going to be? Is it going to be a catch weight? Is it going to be a solid yeah. 160? You know, the guy yeah. was really, honestly, always pet up to lose against anybody that was put into him. So hopefully that answers your question of why Joe Kazaki and him were never talked about. Yeah, did Sergio Martinez was obviously, I would say, mistreated by HBO as well. Absolutely. Um, they did him no favors. And the other reason, too, I think is a simple one, which is that Calzaghe was going up to 175 and was no longer going to be a 168-pounder. And Martinez was, you know, a, I would say almost an undersized middleweight uh, at 160. So I don't really see a catch weight that would have led to an even fight there between a guy who was going to be, if not already campaigning at 175 versus kind of a guy who was already kind of small for a middleweight. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't even a true middleweight, even though now, right now, he, he is campaigning at 168. Uh, we'll definitely, after the show, after the stack-up show, we're going to roll into our regular hour of leaving the ring because we do have some fights to talk about and some news to talk about here, you know? So as soon as we get done with the whole stack-up deal, um, and we'll get into that about Sergio Martinez's comeback and who he's looking for, who he's targeting 
to get back in to get a title against. Uh, and I think it's pretty interesting, the matchup that he's asking for, for, you know, late, late in the year of 2021. But let's get down to, to Saul Canelo Alvarez against against the great Joe Calzaghi, or Sloppy Zaggy, as, uh, uh, who, who said that? Let's see. <laughs> it was my man Prophet. He had said, Sloppy Zaggy, you know. Um, so let me ask you, what do you think, man? Joe Calzaghi, is this a tough assignment against right now one of the one of the most one one that is considered one of the best fighters of our generation at this moment, and definitely has all everybody by taking on one of the more dangerous 168 pounders out there, and and uh, Canelo Can Can Alvarez. What do you think, man? Does he give right. Joe a real test, or is this more of a blowout? I th I think that this is the closest fight on the list here. Um, However, uh, Callum Smith, obviously Canelo's best win at 168, does not have the hand speed, the experience, or the troubling southpaw stance, uh, nor does he have the combination punching of a Joe Calzaghi. Hmm. Um, I see this fight ending in a controversial split decision one way or the other. You know what I see here with Joe Calzaghe when I think about this fight? And I was really thinking about yeah. this fight last night because we were discussing, you know, yeah. uh, what we wanted to do with the stack up. And I was like, if you really look at it, Joe Calzaghe's reign at 168 was really, really weak. And his noticeable wins, as, as I have on the tickers, like Chris Eubank, who's on the way out, Jeff Lacey, who's really untested, Mikkel Kessler, who honestly was a one-trick uh, trick pony. Bernard Hopkins and Roy Jones Jr. were guys that were really kind of reestablished, but, you know, they, they weren't really in their prime, even though Philly says that he thinks that uh, Bernard Hopkins won that fight in a very close close uh, matchup. Um, I, I kind of see that Canelo would be a new look to Joe Calzaghe. My, my question would be is who, whose reflexes would be better in that fight? Because if there's one thing about Joe Calzaghe's reflexes and his timing, it was uncanny. Like, he he was able oh, to yeah. see shots, and then he was able to counter those shots. You know, where we now see Canelo has finally got into is, like, the best we've ever seen this kid, okay? And, and the development that we witnessed kid from 140. Think about this. Saul Canelo has started at 140, and he's at 168. And at 168, this is the best version of Saul Canelo we've ever seen. Would this be that, that this version of Canelo, would it be the best that Joe has ever seen? I would have to say yes. I think that is the best guy at 168 that Joe would have to face. And But I also would say that this would be the best, best 168-pounder that Canelo has ever seen as well. This is a tough match, man, in my opinion. Um, I think that, I think Joe could really frustrate Saul Canelo Alvarez, the way Floyd Mayweather frustrated him at a at 154, which you could contribute his age and that he was kind of drained for that fight. But I don't think there'd be any excuses here of seeing the 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 Mexican warrior right now um, struggling to land some clean shots on Joe Calzaghe. Am I missing something? Uh, no, I think they're both capable of landing shots on one another. And you know, I also really just question the people who keep labeling Joe Calzaghe as 
you know, a slapping puncher. What he actually did was that he'd shoe shot, as somebody mentioned a, a lot, and he'd mix the power of the shots with a lot, which a lot of very experienced fighters do. Joe, uh, sorry, uh, Ray Leonard used to do that a lot. He mixes his flurrying with his power shots. And what <coughs> Joe Kazagi kind of, I would say, was a disadvantage for him is when he reigned, the super middleweight division was a very European heavy division. There weren't really a lot right. of guys from the U.S. that were that were uh, campaigning in it. And we live in a very U.S. centric media universe, especially here in the United States. Right. We're almost just like if it doesn't happen in the, in the U.S. or doesn't it involve people from the U.S., then it doesn't really matter. And you know, it took some time for the super middleweight division to become what it is right now, which is a um, kind of a more global division, at least with the with guys like obviously Canelo there and more fighters from the United States. Um, but it still, let's be honest, doesn't have the status of a uh, of a of, of this middleweight division. And anyone who thinks Calzaghe's boring, I mean, if you didn't find the Jones fight exciting, I mean, I did. Just Google Joe Calzaghe uh, or the Calzaghe-Mitchell fight, all right? It was knockdowns back and forth, and it ended with a brutal uh, Joe Calzaghe knockout of, of, of Mitchell. It, it, was, it was devastating. Uh, just, just go look at that fight if you think this man's boring or doesn't have any punching power. Philly said to try to call in. Uh, Philly, give it another shot if you can call in again, and uh, we'll get we'll patch you right in, man. Hear your thoughts about Joe Calzaghe and about the four mentionable fighters that we said of today. Uh, would he have problems with them? Canelo Alvarez, I think he does. I think he has a lot of problems with him. But at the end of the day, I, I'm going to have to ride with Joe Calzaghe, man. I think just the experience of what Joe was able to do, and like I said, uh, he knew how to turn it on when he was in the pocket. He knew when to move. His head movement was phenomenal. Um, oh, yeah. I, I just think that he would get marked up a lot with Saul Can Canelo Alvarez because as you see, what we've seen with Saul is that if you submit to him, he's able to really do what he wants. He doesn't have to like you know evolve or or or, or you know uh, do anything else to create something uh where joe was always kind of when i wa witnessed him it was always like he was reinventing himself uh in there you know he's always doing a little bit of this a little bit of that people had questioned his chin his heart all the stuff that was actually always his punching about him, power his punching power he always answered it that's what i liked about joe the one thing that i liked about joe was that he, he actually invited the negativity because he wanted to prove everybody, and even his father, Enzo, they wanted to prove that they were more than what you thought they were. And I think that's what made Joe Kazaki so extraordinary, man. Such a phenomenal fighter. Um, but I do think that, I think on the scorecards in Vegas, it would have to lean with Canelo, Canelo that's Alvarez. What was, that's why I was saying, yeah, that's why I was saying controversial split decision. Controversial split decision because I think I do think that Canelo punches would be a lot louder, if yeah. that makes any sense, which really honestly sways the audience and uh, the judges. Uh, you know, so this is something that that Joe would have to go out there and just be so perfect, so on point on that night uh, that it, there is no way of denying him that decision. But this I is the Mitchell. Was... This is the Mitchell Mitchell fight here right now. You're going to see it on the screen. Right. So he gets knocked down there. Um, 
takes his shot, but he comes back up and just watch, just watch the oof. Look at that. And oh, clocks him. Yep. And this video doesn't even show the back and forth inside fighting that these guys were doing. So the other thing I wanted to say is that um, Chris Eubank, senior, not junior, senior, senior who's was in a lot of wars with a lot of heavy uh, handed guys, heavy handed fighters, uh, was also saying that, you know, going into the fight, he <laughs> thought Calzaghe was a slapper. And right. That by the end of the first round, he told his corner, this guy can hit. So, I mean, he's given an interview about that. Um, so, uh, we're showing clips of the Kessler fight. This was not a boring fight. No, that uh, was not a boring fight. And honestly, I, I mean, think a lot of people thought that Kessler being, you know, um, at the time coming in with his record, that he was going to be able to take on Joe Calzaghe's strengths. Um because like I said, he was kind of more viewed as a as a like you know pity patter kind of guy, yep. and you know what? Soft European, yeah, he, stereotype. He, and he went out there and he imposed himself, you know, and, and not just in his hand speed, but he imposed his strength, which was his upper body, him coming forward, him him taking control and ring generalship. Same thing with Bernard. Bernard Hopkins was known to kind of outmuscle you, rough you up, and he wasn't able to really do that convincingly. In that fight against Joe Calzaghe. No, and he also didn't throw enough punches, to be honest. And oftentimes right. smothered his work. What I would say about Calzaghe last this is the last thing I'll say on him, is that he always was fighting for recognition, not just in the United States, yes. but also in the United Kingdom. Because he's not English. He's not Scottish. No, he's Wales. He's an Italian, he's he's an Italian. Italian dude that grew up in Wales. Yep. Which is like the smallest of the countries in the United Kingdom obviously behind England and Scotland. So he never really had the UK behind them the way English fighters have that uh, fan base behind them, whether it's Prince Nazim Ahmed, Ricky Haddon, yeah. uh, Anthony Joshua, Carl Frotch, you name it. Um, he never had that. He was a star in Wales and was never, in his eyes, given the recognition, uh, recognition the that he felt exactly that he felt he deserved. And I actually went to a, to a talk when I was out in the UK that was uh, with Joe Calzaghe was having and spoke to him one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. about all of this stuff. It's, uh, yeah, he, he was an Italian dude from Wales with a father trainer who spoke with a funny accent. Like, right. he wasn't the guy that was going to get the recognition there or here in the United States. No. No, he definitely wasn't, you know. And he was actually like fine wine. The longer he stayed around, the more you kind of appreciate his style and who he was. I mean, I definitely didn't start appreciating him until after the Jeff Lacey fight. I actually even didn't even really pay attention uh, to Joel Calzaghe because, like you said, you know, we were American uh, uh, fan bases were really honestly kind of caught up with, you know, what was being shown to us at the time. You know, and Joel was uh, like he was on on Showtime and Showtime was like the B side of networking <laughs> of the networks. Right. You know, so yeah, definitely uh, underrated man, uh, retired. And um, what are you going to say, Milkar? I was just going to say, maybe we could go over the phone number again, because I don't, I didn't receive any calls here and Philly saying he tried to call it. It's area code three, four, seven, four, six, zero, 1773. All right. Three, four, seven, four, six, zero. 1773 that's the hotline so just it's call that it's right on we'll, the top we'll put there, you right, right we'll put you right in it's right there 
Can't miss it. Yeah. Call in right there, there, uh, Philly. We'd love to have you on, man. Chop it up here. Or send me a text, and I'll call you right back. Either way, uh, I, I can answer text messages as well on that on that number. So going back, I think we're all in agreement here. I think Joe uh, probably would lose out to uh, Canelo Alvarez on a split, controversial decision. Raider LA Boxy, what's up, brother? Let's see what he's got to say. He said Joe Calzaghe was nice, but Canelo is another level and is on his way to be on an all-time great. Uh, Canelo's defense, slipping punches, rolling punches, counter punching, and timing and accuracy is crazy. But, but I could say the same thing about Calzaghe. I was going to say, yeah, you say the same thing about Joe because in reality, Canelo hasn't fought anybody. Of, of 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 at 168, I don't think there's anybody. I mean, close to that. I mean, I can't even say B.J. Saunders or Caleb Plant come close no. to what Joe Calzaghe was. You know, um, there's like a little Joe's, bit of similarities, but not a whole lot. Not what Joe brought. Billy Joe's smaller, uh, doesn't have the hand speed, and <laughs> doesn't have the punching power of Joe Calzaghe. Yeah. You could call Joe's uh, punching power slappy, but ooh, there was some pop in that. You know, now, if ever you want to have, right? But if ever you want to claim uh, glove gate, you know, where this guy's punching with open palm, Joe did that a lot. There was a lot of open palm <laughs> punching and stuff that he got called on. <laughs> so then, then you got a good claim on that if you want to do glove gate. I know how much, so much, how much uh, uh, a lot of the YouTubers here on this platform love to have their. Uh, you know, it's conspiracies, man. <laughs> I'm excited about the next one, Dave. Yeah, let's get down to the next one. Again, you guys want to call in, certainly can. Let's talk some boxing here on the Stack Up Show, which is a special edition of Believe in the Ring. Uh, hotline is 347-460-1773. Let's talk boxing here. Let's go with Ike Corte. Ike Corte, 37 wins, four losses, one draw, and... 32 KOs under his belt. But let's look at the crop of fighters in the welterweight division. You know, uh, Icorte held the, uh, what was it, the IBF? Was it the IBF that he was holding on to at the time? Uh, I believe no. so, yeah. Yeah, was it? Uh, yeah, was the, it was either IBF or WBA. I, I don't remember, but he held it from like 94 to 98. I know it's on the on the next segment here on the ticker, so, um, you know, don't. It was don't the WBA. WBA. There you go. Yeah, yeah. The WB. I knew it was. I knew it was one of those. Okay, but right now, I thought, he beat, I thought he beat Oscar personally. I a lot I thought of people thought Oscar. that. Actually, that's another running back Oscar. I'd love to do about that. Yeah. You know, uh, rewatch that fight and and see if he did win that fight against Oscar De La Hoya, which was a phenomenal, phenomenal fight uh, between those two. Man, what a great fight, man. Um, oops. Uh, so okay, right now, who you got? In the welterweight division for Icorte, if he was around here on 2020, he would have to face Manny Pacquiao, Sean Porter, Terrence Crawford, and Spence, Errol Spence Jr. Let's go with Manny Pacquiao here first. And Mokar, what do you think? You hit me with the toughest one, bro. Got to start off with him because everybody's writing out. Listen, he's the first on the top of this because everybody's writing him out. Everybody's like, oh, he's on his way out. He's done. He's well, over. Well, I'm, are we talking about the current Manny or are we talking about the prime Manny? No, we're talking about – we have to talk about the current Manny, not the not the Manny that just moved into the welterweight division. The Manny that and everybody thinks he's, he's prime he's and right to take. And, he, and this man, and this Manny's taking on the I Corte that fought Jose Luis Lopez and Oscar De La Hoya, De La Hoya yes. and Obacar 
and Vince Phillips and those guys? Yes, sir. You got it right there. Oh, man. I'm a huge Manny fan. This is tough. This is tough. Jesus the says, only Ike action Pat. You know it. Oh, my man. He, he was one of my favorite fighters. I, I born in the 80s, was watching boxing in the 90s. I, I was the first time I saw Ike Bazooka Corte, I was hooked. Period. Um, yeah, Philly said he tried to call in again. He's not he's not able to get through. I'm not receiving any calls, man. I got the thing right in front of me. Hmm. Uh, Philly, could you send me a text and I'll call you back off the text? How about well, that? I'll tell you what, but I like about... we'll call you right back. Yeah, do that, Billy. Um, I tell you what, I, I one thing about one thing that captured me why I became a huge fan of Icorte is that high guard, dude. Like he literally his whole arm, bro. Like I've never seen anybody do that after. Have you ever seen anybody high, basically use high that high guard, guard like a shield? High guard combined combined with abs of steel. Abs of steel and and dude, a bazooka jab. That's what he was. Oh known my for. god, the jab was was unreal. Unreal. I gotta go bro. back and watch more Icorte right now. Well, we'll uh, put up some highlights of Icorte in a short minute, and let's get down here. So we got four guys here. Manny Pacquiao is so the first Claudie, one. Claudie, Claudie tried to do an impression of of Icorte when he fought. He was a, uh, it was a good Manny impression. At, yeah, at, at 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 the Cowboys Stadium. Unfortunately for Claudie, he didn't have the defensive skills or the jab or the punching power of Ike. Or the so fire. Ended up happening, or the, or the fire, fire of Ike. Exactly. Okay. So it ended up just being a, a situation where he was kind of just uh, uh, almost a human punching bag for a lot of, of the fight. This is... I don't see Ike Corte getting knocked out, but I could potentially see Ike Corte knocking out Manny. Um, Ooh, Really? Knocking yeah, out Manny? Look, I mean, Manny got got we got we can't forget it. He got put to sleep, bro. By Wampa. He got put to sleep and Icor taking crack. If he lets his if know. he lets his if he gets know. lets his guard down, Ike's got the power to do it. Um you know what though? Let me let me put this as an account because like Raider put out there, not fair, Prime Corte versus post Manny. Primor uh, uh, Corte thought. beats. Yeah, yeah breaks, probably beats the breaks out of Manny Pacquiao. I got to defend Manny here. I'm going to tell you okay. what. The okay. the, the Corte, though, the, the type of, I mean, look, he was hurt by uh, Jose Luis Lopez by nasty yeah. right hand that dropped him late in the round. Yeah. And he went on survivor mode, okay? Um, the thing that, that, you know, you... When Kaladi decided, you know, Joshua Kaladi decided to try to adapt, adopt the bazooka style, the one thing that he lacked was the fire of Ike, and honestly, the jab wasn't as strong. And he waited for Manny to to tee off of him first, which was the wrong thing to do because Manny, if you let if you just sit there like a punching bag, that's exactly what he's gonna do. He's gonna use you like a punching bag, okay? Ike He also Go ahead. Well, you, if you go back and you see what De La Hoya was able to do with Ike, is that that you know Ike gave you those opportunities which Oscar got by landing the left hook and dropping Ike because Ike would suck you in thinking that make you think he's just going to stay with his high guard and peekaboo and then that he's going to wait for you to finish what he was doing. He wouldn't do that. He would actually let you start touching him and boom, boom, he would let, let his hands go. 
I think that even the post Pacquiao would be able to sneak in some really nasty shots, being a southpaw, and still, I think his speed is still there. It's not like it's like like he's not that fast anymore, you know, Manny Pacquiao. So I think Manny actually gives uh, Ike a real big run for his money. I don't think Ike knocks him out, but I think Ike beats him convincingly just with that jab alone. Because Manny will have a lot of issues. With such an on-point tying jab that, that Ike threw, you know, I think it just keeps Manny off balance. Yeah, I mean, he had that kind of a power jab, which which was straight. And he also had that kind of a half uppercut, half jab, which was really unreal. And then also one of his great punches was the left uppercut. Um, and what he'd often do, like you just said, David, is he'd cover up, right? He get, gives the guy a false sense of security. He could take a half step back and then come back with a wicked jab, followed by a right hand, followed now by I a hook, or, 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 or right hand. Let's see what you're showing right now. And there he is right there against Ralph Jones. These are the best highlights of Ike Corte uh, at his best. I mean, and once he had you hurt or he smelled blood, I mean, this guy jumped all over you. Oh, yeah. You know? Definitely. Yeah, I was such a massive fan, but he was, he was a fighter that just couldn't seem to get that marquee win that he really, really needed. And uh, you know what? Do you talk about... You talk about walking and walking away from the sport with a bad taste in your mouth. I Corte definitely did, man. He he walked away brokenhearted. I remember, like in his interviews, man, and how bitter he was. Like he, he, even when he lost, because so many fights were taken, like especially the Oscar De La Hoya fight was was you yeah. know a lot a lot of folks thought he was robbed from that. Um, he walked away like you know always feeling that way. You know, uh, Fernando Vargas beat him. He was like, no, I they, no, they stole it from me. And I actually thought that Fernando Vargas did beat him convincingly. Yeah. Uh, well, the thing with the Vargas fight is it was Ike Cortez's first fight at 154, uh, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. And I just felt that at that time, and I still feel today, like Vargas was too young, too strong, too determined. Um, too cocky. For, for Ike Cortez <laughs> at that time. Um, yeah, most definitely. I mean, he paid for it against Tito. <laughs> um, but against Corte, Corte didn't really, wasn't able to really make him pay for that. Um, again, it was his first fight at the weight and right. I, I just feel like he was a little bit overwhelmed by, by Vargas. And, um, that was really the last. Well, that was out of um, his weight division too. You know what I mean? He was actually yeah, going yeah. up. He was looking for the big fights, uh, you know, and he was chasing the bigger fights. So that's why he took on. You know, Fernando Vargas, um, you know, okay, going off and then Sean Porter, a short, stocky, bull type of fighter, a linebacker against Ike Corte. What do you think, man? Um, Ike, Corte, Ike Corte all day or does Sean Porter actually, is he able to break the will of the bazooka? And Gilbert put out there, let me put say, Gilbert put out there, uh, bazooka beats them all. I'm not impressed with the, with the crop. You know, with the crap, I mean crop of fighters that are out there right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I can see why he'd, he'd feel that way. But I, the hardest one here for me was Manny. Um, I, I don't see Sean Porter beating Ike Corte. I don't see it either. I, I, you know what? If Kel Brook can humble you, humble you with a jab, and if you had a rate whose jab was far superior, Bazooka all day. Bazooka would really humble... Uh, Sean Porter, keep him at the end of his jab, 
uh, occasionally throw that right, which really, honestly, nobody really worried about the right hand of Bazooka because it was kind of thrown. You, we just had, you know, we're just talking about Joe Calzaghe. It was kind of slappy, man, the way he would throw that right hand. You know what I mean? And and then he did this weird thing, too, where he would he would throw it. Like, it was a weird way he would throw that right hand, and it just never looked like it generated a lot of power. Whereas his left, dude, this left was the one thing you had to worry about. The hook, the jab, the way he'd walk you down with the jab. I mean, he just didn't pepper you up with the jab. He broke you down with that jab. And at 147, he was just a, a very strong guy. Oh, um, strong. And Big. like you said, you referenced Kel Brook. I think that's an excellent comparison because I actually see Brook as kind of a poor man's eye corte. Yeah, um, He kind of uses the same defensive tactics. Uh, he likes to use the high guard. Um, but Brook, as we have seen, is not as sturdy at 147 as Ike Corte was. I, I see he a headbutt, though, with Sean oh, yeah. Porter and Ike. Because the thing is that uh, Ike was not one of those guys that was elusive. You can hit him. But you were hitting all those gloves and elbow. And and, yeah. and I think Sean Porter, because he doesn't, he's not one of those styles that's fighting in the outside. He actually mauls you up. He's going to be attacking. And I think, honestly, even though we don't see Porter tiring out from that style, but I see a lot of fouls getting in with Ike. Because Ike would, would, would cover up, and then he would close that distance. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, I think he would be shooting his shots around Ike, catching him in the back of the head, trying to catch him on the wrist, but he'd be catching him on the kidney. And I think that the ref would have to step in, not just once, but numerous times to separate their, those guys and stuff. You know, because of that style. It's an ugly match, to tell you the truth. But I think that it goes down the stretch. And I think that uh, Ike Corte just, just busts him up with a jab and pretty much does exactly what uh, Cal Brook did to him. Yeah, or or has Sean Porter eating one of those uppercuts, which, again, he was very good at. And Ike Corte was also pretty good at taking steps back and, and coming back with, oh, look at that defense right there. You see that? Yeah. Oh, right there. I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, he was really good at kind of moving his head when he had to, and I was just going to say taking a step back um, and then and then throwing either a lead <coughs> right or one-two. Absolutely, man. Terrence Crawford is next on the list here. Uh, Terrence Bud Crawford, uh, what do you think, man? Interesting matchup, if you tell me, if you ask me, between Ike Corte and Bud Crawford here. Does Bud Crawford switch stance puzzle or give Ike Corte a lot of problems? Now, uh I'll let you go first with that. I mean, I'm just showing my bias here. Like I said, 80s baby, grew up watching boxing in the 90s. I I just do not rate this class of welterweights with the class of the 1990s welterweights. I think that class was like on a different level. And I also, um, I also think that the class of obviously the the 70s and even the 80s was was a different level right having having said that i i can see bud lasting there and doing pretty well but you know i don't see i corte getting overwhelmed um or getting knocked out by the kind of shot that kel brook uh was overwhelmed by and i corte had better punching power than kel brook who was touching terrence crawford so hmm. I, 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 not, it, it's definitely a, it's definitely going to be a good fight, but at welterweight, let's be honest. I mean, 
Terrence Crawford's best win is against Kell Brook. I mean, that's really all I have to go on. And that's a damaged Kell Brook. That's not a prime fresh Brook. Exactly. Brook, you know. Um, I, you know what? I go. I think that honestly, I'm going to have to go against your pick. I think that Terrence Crawford, but I think he gets the edge. I think he wins that fight. Uh, I'll tell you why. Uh, you know, Oscar De La Hoya in his prime, um, you know, who was still trying to find out who Oscar was. You know, Oscar was still trying to find out who he was in in in, in the fight. Was able to get in some good work against Ike Corte, okay? And this wasn't a over the hill Ike. This wasn't a coming up Ike. This was a prime. I'm I have arrived Ike. Crawford, I think, yep. would have uh, have his moments because of, of his temperament. You know, the one thing about Terence Crawford, what I like about him is that he he creates the moments, okay? And he fights at the level of his opponents, okay? And I think him going in with uh with Ike is that he's gonna probably have a much more better punching output than Ike would, that it would kind of sway the judges to pick Crawford. I think it would be controversial. I think that he would get that edge because of the American judging, and it would probably be in Vegas. And I think that you'll end up hearing Ike Corte complain about a robbery in that fight, which would be a very close, close fight, in my opinion, between the two. I like Crawford. I think that Crawford's going to have a lot of issues with the jab because he was having issues with with Cal Brooks jab in the very beginning. But the thing is that Ike doesn't make those mistakes. One thing that Ike does that a lot of these kids nowadays do not do is uh is when Ike throws a a jab, he comes right back to that that shell and and it's really a shield defense. You know, it's not even a shell. It's like a freaking Trojan shield that he puts right in front of his face. You know, and it's like you literally don't even see anywhere to hit. Like even his abs it's very hard to find a spot. And that's what's very difficult and deceiving um, and discouraging, in my opinion. When you're in there, you, you, you're, when you're in there and you're facing somebody, you kind of tend to see some skin and some vulnerable spots that you can target. With Icorte, you don't really see that. But I think Crawford would create those moments to land some pretty good shots. But I, I think that Ike gets dropped in the fight because Ike was known to kind of get, you know, dropped. You know, uh, he was sometimes off balance in the way that Tito Trinidad would be off balance and stuff. But I think it's a really, really close, close fight. And uh, let me see. Uh, A-Rod put here, he said Crawford gets knocked out. He gets knocked out wanna, in that I fight. Wanna, I, didn't wanna, I didn't wanna say that earlier. Oh, he runs like crazy. But, I, <laughs> but, but I might as well just say it right now. I mean, we saw what the mean machine was able to do. Yeah. Mean Machine dropped him. True. No offense to the Mean Machine. I like the guy. Uh, but he's no White Corte, and he doesn't have White Corte's punching power. And Kel Brook was touching him. Hmm. Terrence Crawford admitted that after the fight. And I'm <laughs> sorry, was. but but uh, but uh, literally end of career, Kel Brook and a Jeff Horn, and we saw what happened to him against Tim Zhu. Those two wins... Don't give me any confidence at all that you're going to be able to beat an Ike Corte. And Ike Corte, yes, was dropped. We talk about the Deloria fight, but he got back up. He fought well, you know. Um, right. And Deloria did a lot more at 147 than Terrence Crawford did. I think. I think. 
yeah, it's difficult to, to talk about Crawford with an all uh, like a, a great uh, welterweight. Um, maybe we got to stack them up against like the the top 135 or 140 pound welterweight champion of the world, Ike Bazooka Cortez. You know what Mike didn't get to hear was the appreciation of fight fans. Of his yeah. of his style and and what he really did bring, you know, because um, he was a delight to watch, bro. I used to get so excited when I would hear he oh, was in the fight. I was like, oh shit, Ike is gonna get on, you know, the bazooka, the bazooka is gonna be here, um, you know, and and he didn't really get that that uh, that full effect of what of the joy that he would bring to a lot of us fight fans of his style, you know, um, and he he was in a hotbed of a lot of good welterweights at that time, you know. Um, you know, like you mentioned right now, just different crops. You know, even when even when Floyd was at welterweight, remember this: he retired because there was so much talent in the welterweight division that he had to let well, those I mean, guys weed each other I'm, out. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't his welterweight debut Sean Bay Mitchell? Yes. I mean, that's that's all you need to know. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think Didn't that if I was there. If Ike was there, he, he, you know, we would have fought everybody because he was trying to prove, he was trying to prove uh, he was the best. And at least somebody agrees with me over here. Jesus says Crawford wins. He beats Ike. Crawford beats Ike Corte if they were to have met in two, 2020. But let's get down to Errol Spence Jr., the champ, the one that everybody considers the number one guy who has the number one spot. But doesn't really want to look like he wants to show us he's the number one guy by not facing Terrence Crawford. Doesn't really have a lot of bass in his voice when Crawford is brought up uh, in any type of interview. Uh, what do you think, man? Errol Spence Jr. Does he have problems, or do we look? Do we get to see a Spence be so dominant against Ike Corte the way he did against Danny Garcia, against Mikey Garcia, and against uh, and where he struggled against Sean Porter? What do you think? Could you, could you repeat what you said? Uh, what what was the number of the spot that Errol Spence has? Can you repeat that? <laughs> number one. The number one spot is what he said. <laughs> you, are you playing something in the background? Is that why you're jumping your hand? Because I don't hear anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe it didn't go through. No, let me hear it. Come on, try it again. Uh, I don't know why it didn't go through. Hold on. Let me try it again. I don't know what happened. Uh, I'm going to say, I'll, I'll put something up for number one spot. Here's the, here it is. Stupid! You're so stupid! <laughs> I, was actually, I, was actually, I was actually playing number one spot by Ludacris. Oh, um, man. Don't know, don't know what happened there. It would have been a great great uh, filler right there. Uh, yes, he, he does have the number one spot. Uh, shout out to Ludacris. But, uh, you know, Terrence Crawford can't lay claim to that because he has not beat at welterweight the guys that Errol Spence has beat at welterweight, um, other than Kell Brook. I think he I wants that fight. To... I think Spence is the one that's not holding things No, up. I agree. He, yeah. I agree he wants to fight, but Spence isn't giving it to him. No. And if he is giving it to him, it's at 70-30, which I don't think uh, Crawford wants. Uh, and an argument could be made there that, Maybe he should just take the fight at, at, at 70, 30, and then get his money in the rematch, just reverse it. Um, but I don't know what the possibilities of that are. I, I, Errol Spence Jr., no, I'm sorry, he does not beat Ike Cortez. Ooh. 
Really? No. <sighs> you know, the thing about Spence here is that he's nothing. He doesn't mirror anything of Sean Porter, Pacquiao, or Crawford. He is a controlled, disciplined flight fighter of what we've seen. I don't see... I don't see Ike landing that jab at will as he would against the three other guys we just mentioned right now. I think anything that it would be Ike, he would have to pressure the action here, which he has never he had would. a problem doing. Um, but that would actually leave chances for Spence to counter. You know, the thing with Spence, though, he's not really a counter puncher. He's a puncher that creates the countering shots. And what I mean by that is he throws punches. They're not really throwaway punches, but there's punches where... He does something, and then the and then he waits for the other guy because he knows the timing is going to be the other guy is going to wait for him to finish, and they they're hoping that Spence is going to stay around, or stay around for a receipt, and they're going to shoot a shot. Spence knows that he does his shots, he sits there, lets the guy try to counter him, and then he counters the counter. I love when he does that, you know. So I I, I tend to think that he gives uh, Ike some problems. This is something where Ike would have to really, really dig deep down the way he did against Oscar De La Hoya. And the same thing with, uh, oh, yeah. with Lopez in those, la those last three rounds. You know, he had to dig down deep to show who he really was. And I don't think he'll have a problem with that. But I do think that, that Spence brings out the best and the worst of Ike or Tate if they would have met in 2020. I can definitely see that. Uh, the fight I point to in my mind uh, is the is the uh, Kell Brook fight. Kell Brook was actually doing pretty well in that fight before his eye gave out. Um, it was a really good fight, and he was touching Errol Spence Jr., and right. obviously getting touched himself. But like I said earlier, he's a poor man's Ike Corte. He's not as sturdy as Ike Corte. Uh, he may match him in terms of his hand speed, um, but... I mean, the accuracy of Icorte's shots, I mean, they both like that kind of uppercut. Um, they both kind of piston out their jabs. I just think that Icorte has, has the, the proven that he's got the edge there in power, and more importantly, that he has the edge there in sturdiness. Hmm. Um, and then, and then I, obviously, I could see Errol Spence winning if he fights a very tactical fight and is content with going the distance and kind of being a little bit boring as I thought he was against Garcia. Um, not, not Danny, but, uh, um, <clears throat> Mikey, shit, but Mikey, thank mm -hmm. you. Uh, let's get, let's get, uh, uh, I'm just going to really quick before I forget, forget my thought here about what you were saying. You know, the one thing yeah. about Spence is that nobody's pointing out and nobody's kind of appreciated and, and kind of, you know, talks about is I, and I talked, we talked about this. I love the way that, that Spence jabs to the solar plex. It pauses their opponents. He did it to Danny Garcia numerous times. I think he does it over and over to Ike, which makes Ike kind of have to rush in, you know. But I think he stops Ike in his tracks a lot because of that, that high guard. And because Ike was not one to have – he didn't really have fast feet. He kind of walked you down. He would, he would really need those fast feet to close distance with Spence. And I think that what Spence would do, he's a very, you know, intelligent fighter. I think that he just shoots his jab always to the center uh, solar plex of Icorte and it keeps him always at the end of his punches. Really interesting fight. But before I give you and tell you who I think wins that one, let's get in our caller. Yeah, um, I'm going to call him up right now. Uh, I don't know why it wasn't going through because I tested it on my cell phone and I was going through. So hmm. that one's going to remain a mystery. I also texted 
the number from my cell phone and it uh it went through as well but uh but yeah let's get, let's get him on right now i'm gonna call him up i'm gonna call him in and this is uh this is philly that we're calling in here from the shoe shine let's go right here you guys want to call in certainly can 347-460-1773 we're going to talk some boxing of course we're going to get into that there jesus we're going to bring up uh Right after the Stack Up show, we're going to go right into the Hello show there. of Libra Is that Philly? Is that Philly on the line? Hello? Can you hear him, Dave? I don't hear nothing, bro. That's weird. I do I'm, not I'm, hear anything on my end. Uh, but you got I. Corte winning this fight against Errol Spence Jr., right? Is that what I'll you said? Right. Tell him I'll call him right back. Uh, yeah, I do. Okay. Um, sorry about that, Philly. I'll try again. Something's clearly off with my um, my sound settings because earlier on when I tried to mix in the ludicrous, it didn't go through. It didn't and now go I can't through hear either, his, right? Yeah, now I can't hear his voice. So just give me a moment to to troubleshoot, uh, Dave, while you continue on. He said he heard you. Uh, so so technical difficulties over here on leaving. We heard me. We'll get it all ready to go. He heard me, and I heard him. So the question is why we couldn't can... hear him over the air though, unfortunately. Okay, so, okay, so let me troubleshoot this. So I'm going to tell you what I think here. What happens between Errol Spence Jr. and Ike Cortez? They have met each other on 2020. Um, I honestly think that Errol Spence would probably get the edge of a very close and probably really boring fight. I think Spence would would honestly be happy of staying on the outside. And moving and moving, where, where I Corte would have to find him. Um, I think that Errol Spence would immediately, right away, in the beginning of the first three rounds, would would recognize that he was not going to out jab I Corte or match him. You know, match jab with I Corte. So his best his best option would be jab to the stomach, jab to the stomach, and occasionally throw a right hand. And then when Ike uh, shelled up. Got in that high guard. I, I I could see Spence opening up a little bit, but then getting caught. So he wouldn't. He would do them just like suddenly. He wasn't do. He wouldn't do it a whole lot, in my opinion, man. So, yeah, most definitely you got uh, I Corte. I got Spence on that one there. Um, and this was an addition of uh, the Stack Up Show here on uh, Leaving the Room. We're planning to do a little bit, little bit more of that. Let us know what fighters you want us to put on here to uh, you know to do some comparisons and our picks or, or our thoughts about. Uh, Could you just hear that uh, that phone ringing there, David? No, I can't hear anything, brother. I can only hear you. I can only hear your smoothing voice, that very white voice of yours. <laughs> oh, all right. Let's go. Let's let's get into the current events. Now that we're done with the fantasy fights here on the Stack Up Show, which we had Joe Calzaghe. We talked about Joe Calzaghe against the crop of 168 fighters. If you missed what we said about them, don't worry about it. You'll catch it on the archive. And I Corte. Okay, uh, the bazooka we talked about. How would he match up? How would he stack up against the guys that are current at 147? All right. So if you missed any of that, don't worry about it. You can catch it on the on the replay here. But let's go. Bang. Here we are. Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas de Caballeros.
so much to talk about, man. There is so much to talk about here on Leave It in the Ring. You know, it's crazy because I had called up Emil Carr yesterday and I was like, yeah, dude, there's not a lot of stuff to talk about. What the fuck was I thinking, dude? What was I yeah, on? Emil Carr? <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was tired and I didn't even pick up on it myself, to be honest. Oh. But yeah, we've got a big fight. We've got a big fight uh, this, this weekend. weekend. It don't even seem like it. You know, and there's been a lot of build up to this fight. This is a fight that I was really been like super excited. We got Garcia versus Campbell coming up this weekend. We got to talk about uh, James uh, Bandingo Kirtland. He's got to retire. And then we got to talk about Mark Kriegel's uh, excuse for Lomachenko not winning that title, not re- not retaining his title against Teofimo Lopez. And there's a bunch of other stuff. You know, we got to talk about uh, Sergio Martinez. Uh, we got to talk about Sean Porter, talking about Terrence Crawford. There's a lot of stuff here to talk about. Hopefully, we can get these phone lines figured out here on uh, Leaving the Ring, and we could talk some boxing here. Uh, oh man, I got the old line, no old line number up. I apologize for that. Uh, sorry about that, guys. Uh, so we just gonna have to put that in the chat room. The I'll have a milk card. Put that in the chat room if you want to call in because I got the old number up. Yeah, I'll do that right now. Man. So I, I apologize. I thought I, I thought I had, I thought I updated it. What happened here? Jesus. All right, let's see uh, really quick. Two uh, shine here. Dave four weight says uh, Sergio Martinez versus GG someday, please, someday, please. I think it could happen, but I think Gennady Golovkin's got to move up. He's got to make that jump. Even Canelo and uh, Eddie Barnoso had said already, hey, that fight's still feasible, but he's got to, he's got to come up. 168, which I'm not sure that, you know, Gennady Golovkin wants to do. I'm not sure about that. You know, he hasn't tested the waters of moving up. So, uh, yeah, you know, Nato says, I Corte versus De La Hoya's biggest, uh, is De La Hoya's biggest victory. Hell of a fight, dude. That was a phenomenal welterweight fight. Too bad they didn't do it again. I think it's, an, I think I agree with that. I think it's his biggest victory as well. Avon wants us to talk about, uh, on, on the Stack Up show, Trinidad versus Charlo. Um, you know, we'll definitely bring up, get up Trinidad, dude. I think, ooh, man, that would be fun to talk about. Even at 147 and 140, even at 160, I think there's a lot to talk about there, you know, um, with Tiro Trinidad, the great Tiro Trinidad and stuff. Uh, now, though, Calzaghi was an artist in the ring, heavily influenced by his father. Absolutely. We did talk about that there on uh, on the Stack Up show. Uh, but let's move on. Let's talk about Ryan King Ring. I don't even know how do you even say his his nickname, dude. This yeah, is I think it's King. I think it's King Rye, dude. King Rye, there you go, King Rye um, Garcia. These kids, man, they come up with uh, these weird uh, nicknames. They don't got like, you know, not like the way we used to do back. You know, a ninety babies and stuff. You know, Flaco. You know, <laughs> ninety seven rough. <laughs> yeah, blood. Even D. Look at D. Style. That's all like those are all MC names. Coming into the mic. Yeah, yeah they are actually. You know, G Funk, T Funky. You know, you mentioned it. <laughs> Even Chicano Prophet. Chicano Prophet is like a like a straight up uh, b boy nickname. But King Rye sounds like you know like a you know the rye bread. Can I have one of the, Can I have a marble rye? Thank you. That's what it sounds <laughs> like to me and stuff. But okay, so King Rye, <laughs> King Rye uh, Garcia versus Lou Campbell. Let's get down to the breakdown. Uh, I didn't even look up to see the the odds on that, the betting odds, man. Did you have a chance to check that out? Do we know what the betting odds are? I have not, David, but I will uh, look at them as soon as I get the phone line sorted, which I'm about 30 seconds away from. 
Okay, so so I'll win on that. And so what I'll talk about is about Sergio Martinez, you know, shoeshine boxing. That's crazy Sergio's still fighting. I meant, I meant stack up. Prime, that's what he's talking about. Put him in the stack up. Uh, Prime Sergio versus Triple G at 160. But here we are at 2020. Sergio is back. Yes, it is kind of crazy. You know, um, I you know I was talking to Brian Fogg about this. This is a couple of weeks back when Sergio Martinez was at, having that announcement. And uh, even seeing his last fight, uh, where they ended up, I believe it was like a headbutt or something like that. And he was doing actually really, 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 really uh, good. Um, um, and uh, he was uh, he was saying like, you know, the thing with Sergio is like how is his body back? Because that was the only thing that was preventing him to keep moving forward in his career. Remember this. He had so many surgeries, even leading up to the Miguel Cotto fight. You know, this guy was going in with a bad hip, a bad knee. Uh, well, the bad, bad knee was terrible. Yeah. Knee, yeah, I mean, it had to be reconstructed, you know. So, uh, how how realistic is it for Sergio Martinez to get back into any type of real talks of him facing any elite fighter at this moment? I still think it's kind of a fetched dream. Um, it's something that he's chasing. Is it about money, or is it about that he felt like his legacy shouldn't have ended by losing to a smaller man in Miguel Cotto at 160? Um, I think there's a little bit of both, man. I think there's a little bit of both of that there when it comes to Sergio Martinez, which I truly believe was just one of the greatest middleweights out there. You know, you can argue with me about it all you want. Um, even some people will try to even argue with us about that. He ducked Gennady Golovkin, which is kind of hilarious because Gennady was not even in, on anybody's radar, you know? And I've heard I, people say that before. I just don't get it. I don't. I, mean, I don't get do you, it either. How do you duck the WBA IBO? Sorry, WBA regular IBO uh, champion. It just doesn't make much sense to me. Mm. And also, he was a prospect. hadn't done anything. Okay. Well, he had, was breaking yeah. out of the pros, prospect, you know, um, you know, circle. But he had really hadn't done anything. And it was really like, why would Sergio Martinez face that guy? It was like, uh, you know. Uh, it, it, like I said, I'll go back in. It wasn't even in the radar where he was able to go to his home country, make a shitload of money, okay, and and and, and or he was gonna opt to go fight Gennady Golovkin, who really wasn't ready for the world to witness. Like nobody honestly knew about Gennady Golovkin unless you were like a really really hardcore fan. I mean, I go again. Like there's in, we I've had like I don't know maybe five or six different interviews with Gennady Golovkin in that period of time that everybody was saying that. Sergio Martinez was ducking him, and not once in that in those interviews or anytime uh, in the Gmail in the Gmails anybody ever mentioned him going to face uh, Sergio Martinez or Mar Martinez facing Gennady Golovkin. You know, um, I mean, Abel Sanchez and, and 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 Gennady at that time were talking about everybody from 154 to 168, saying that they can go to any weight division. They were willing to do that, but they've never done it. So yeah, I always thought that was kind of strange. Yeah, and obviously he had fights that at that point would have brought him more notoriety and more money. And I don't think anyone should ever accuse Sergio of ducking fights. I mean, he took on pretty much everyone that was placed in front of him and fought very well, you know, against people. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, look at what he did to Carl Williams, uh, Paul Williams. That, that knockout's always going to be in my memory. And they predicted it from the rematch. You know, yeah. here's, the, here's the thing is the first match I predicted that it was being it was going to end up in controversial, you know, controversy. And, and it ended up being just that. Um, 
But that second fight, uh, when they brought out the crown and he made uh, Paul Williams go, you know, head first uh, into the canvas. Who, nobody had ever done that to Paul Williams. Nobody had ever really seen Paul Williams hurt. And Sergio Martinez was able to do that, you know. But he's doing his comeback, you know, comeback campaign here, um, you know, and it's great to see him there. He's actually thinking of, he's hoping to get uh, Mariana, a Japanese fighter, at 168. He's willing to go, when I'm hearing, he's willing to go over there to face him later on this year. I actually think, I don't think that's a bad fight, but I don't think he could win that fight if his body is not recuperated to where it needs to be here, Amilcar. I mean, I... I Mariotta's a big guy, and uh, he's a good fighter. He's not like he's not a slouch, you know, uh, but let's it's not see, much uh, talked about. Let's see if we can hear a caller now. We just had a caller call in. Hello, caller, can you hear me? Hello? I'm sorry, Dave. Yeah, I've been, I don't hear nothing. I've been working at this. I, I can hear you, but <laughs> apparently uh, Dave can't hear you, and you can't hear me. Hmm. Don't worry. We'll figure yeah. it out on next yeah. show um yeah sorry about that my brother it's uh, my, my fault there's something going on with my mixer um that has not happened before yeah you know, so uh, shoe shine boxes sergio and dimitri pirog never happened people forget about what pirog did to danny jacobs they absolutely did there was a lot of manage uh management problems in pirog's uh, part you know he was fighting in in, in his home country uh, just couldn't seem to get over here overseas so that was like that was really shit. I remember when we had Pierre on the show, and I remember the frustration in their in their part where, like, you know, they just they couldn't get nothing going. You know, it's not. And you know what's crazy is that, like, I always see people go like, "Well, if this so and so fighter beats the star, he automatically becomes a star." And I was like, "Not, not that's not necessarily how things really go." You know, well, ask Rigo about that. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. The only ones Gilbert says the only ones that say that is Steve Kim and his uh, parakeet followers. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? Uh, Steve and his uh, listeners they definitely had a a a very like a big resentment towards Sergio Martinez. We always used to make fun of that. You know, (laughs) I don't know what it is. I don't know why Steve didn't. uh, I think now though Steve appreciates him, but before he didn't. That actually surprises me. Yeah, Steve really didn't have a – there was not a special place in Steve's heart for Sergio Martinez. But now I see Steve tweeting about him and shows kind of shows the appreciation. Um, I think what Steve was at was like people – I don't know. Uh, you know, he was always riding the Gennady Golovkin train, so didn't want to disappoint his listeners there. You know, because that was definitely when you have a certain cult, cult following followers, you don't want to – you don't want them to turn against them. I remember there was a guy from Australia that would uh-huh. call into the, to the next round. Uh, on the Leave It in the Ring radio network, and he had like Triple G in his name or something. It was that they're Triple oh, G? I, I blocked his, that guy on Twitter. Yeah, he was dude. It was Triple like the, G definitely has his hard. I mean, when you're naming yourself after a, a current fighter, he had uh, yeah, he, dude. He you're, had, you're a pretty hardcore fan. He had Triple G culture as his description on his Twitter handle thing. Okay. Wow. That says it all for me. When I saw that, and I was, uh, I can't, I think it was about because of the uh, Danny Jacobs fight. And um, this guy was like, no, he walked, you know, it was a clean win, blah, 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 blah. And remember when Gennady Golovkin and Abel Sanchez were complaining about his, like, you know, that they couldn't get on the plane 
uh, because they were super sore. And I'm like, yeah, that's because you were taking a lot of shots. You know, you don't get super sore, you know, from not taking any shots. So, but yeah, that's here and there, man. But yeah. Uh, so going back to that, like Sergio Martinez, uh, is it a good fight for him? What do you think, man? You think uh, uh, Mariotta is a good fight for Sergio Martinez? Is that a fight he should really pursue? Um, or should he just hang it up? I, I honestly, I think he should just hang it up. You think he's going to end up uh, becoming like, he's going to get Kirkland in the I ring? I hope not. You know, I actually did a video on that on Sunday. Unfortunately, my sound wasn't working. And I'm starting to think it's the mixing board that I'm also using for these calls. Mm. I, I did the damn thing three times, and none of the times uh, was it uploading with audio. Funny enough, when I played a sound file, it did. But, yeah, I, I don't think that he should be fighting still. I'm sorry. Um, hopefully, he's retired with enough money and he's not financially strapped. Um, but... Yeah, I, it's, I, I, it's, don't need to, I, don't, I don't need to see him fighting anymore. It's kind of sad because, like, when you think you think of that financially for fighters, um, Tyson had a very a great quote about fighters mishandling money. Um, he said this on Howard Stern, which, if you know me, I'm a, I'm a huge Howard Stern fan since the been listening to the guy since the '80s. Um, yeah, but he was on there and. Howard Stern had asked Mike Tyson, like, you know, how did you lose all this money? And Mike said, look, <clears throat> a lot of fighters, including himself, uh, and you could say this about a lot of the guys now that are still pursuing the chase of glory and money, you know, the, the, the yellow brick road. Uh, Mike said this about them, saying there's an art to handling money. And a lot of fighters, we just don't know how to handle it. We don't know that art form. And it's Especially so true. Grew up in poverty too. In poverty, yeah. You know, um, James Kirtland comes to mind. Here we saw him on Saturday night, James Mandigo Kirtland. Here was a guy at 154, um, you know, uh, just looked like pure doomsday to anybody. At a, ask uh, 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 El Perro Angulo, you know, Alfredo Angulo, who stepped in there and gave us a phenomenal back and forth war between the two, but ended up getting the short stick from. James Kirtland. You know, James Kirtland in, outside of the ring had so many problems. You know, one was getting in the ring. One was, you know, um, his up and down relationship with the great Ann Wolf. Um, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, the layoffs, uh, the blowing up in between fights. And I've always said this about certain, I've always said this about certain fighters. They always seem to, when it's kind of a little too late to get back what they once had, like they finally hone down and they go like, okay, I need to get serious, but it's, it's con and past, you know, the hourglass is empty for you. And Saturday night was no, was that certain case for uh, James Mandingo Kirtland. He gets in there and he gets starched again in the first round, the way he did against, uh, I was the name of the Japanese kid that did it with him. And it was off a jab. And this was actually a much more primed Kirtland uh, the first time when he had an upset loss. Uh, he gets in there, and again, man, he just gets blown out. And I actually thought he was getting punished a lot more than he should have. But the ref should have done his job and jumped in and saw immediately he didn't have his legs underneath him. You could see his eyes were glossy. Uh, James Kirtland is a fighter. He was willing to go back at it. But what was alarming was after they finally stopped and the ref finally stepped in and, and waved it off, was he said, what happened? Did you hear that, Emil Carr, or anybody? He said, what happened? He didn't know yeah, what I'm happened. Yeah, very sad. 
and and sorry, I was trying to get this this thing uh, sorted so we could at least get some, some callers. I don't think people have been wanting to call in, but yeah, um, honestly, I haven't wanted to see uh, Kirkland again um, since the Canelo fight. Really, uh, the way he went out, the length of time he was out. Once I see a guy get knocked out like that, um, it's usually the sign of the end, and. This is it the just end. really wasn't wasn't nice to watch. Um, oh, it, and and honestly, people who could who care about boxers really shouldn't be trying to get these guys to continue uh, along those lines. And like you said, the that was all after already being knocked out by uh, Nobiro or Nobihiro, I think Ushida. Ushida, um, yes. Yeah, who knocked him out off a jab. So it it but the Saul Canelo out of his knockout was really all I needed to know that to say I really don't want to see this guy fight anymore. Oh god, um, dude, that was like so unnecessary. But you know, when fighters have contracts and fighters on those contracts have they're subjected to an amount of fights that they have to produce because they're under contract of uh, you know, getting fighting for what they sign for. Uh, you know that's 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 the case there. With 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 you know, well here's a good question. Let me get to this question here from Nado. He said, yeah. "Who's the biggest waste of talent? James Kirtland, Edwin Bellario, or Ike Buche? Um That's a good. What do you think? Ike 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 the president. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just off of the stories I've heard about him, you know, um, Brian Fogg. Uh, Interviewed his manager. It was on the leave when we had a leave the ring uh, website, and that yeah. was a hell of an interview, dude. And uh, it was crazy that Ike, the president, uh, his train thought of of the way things because of where he was from was so distorted. Like even for his own country, it was so distorted. You know what I mean? Comes over mm -hmm. here and he kind of felt like, well, I could do what I want, you know, like what's wrong with what yeah. I'm doing. He never comprehended like the things he was doing was not like you can't do that, bro. It's a crime, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Ike, Ike is there, you know. Um, Edwin's death was definitely tragic, um, you know, but that was another very tortured soul. Um, you know, uh, the guy wanted to fight, he was banned, he had to go to Japan, he had to fight out there. Uh, came back, Golden Boy tried, tried everything they could to get him USA fights. Um, he struggled with, with, you know, with with drugs. Um, you know, and the same thing with James Kerlin. Guy struggled with a lot of stuff. He was self-destructive. All three of these fighters were very self-destructive. Yeah, and the only reason I really say uh, I could be a Bucci over the others is because obviously he's a heavyweight too. Right. And, um, you know, I like I said, from what I heard, this guy was like a sad wolf. We know he was a savage. Remember the Tua oh, fight? Oh, dude, yeah. No, actually, Gilbert just brought it up right now here in the chat room. Greatest heavyweight oh, fight. Yeah, Ike. I'm still working away at, at this. But yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. The Tua fight was all you really needed to know about, about where this guy potentially was going to be able to go. Nope, I I definitely definitely agree, man. Well, when you're looking when you're looking to try to fix that, I gotta definitely start to touch on, I gotta touch on what Mark Regal um, started saying on a segment on ESPN. Let me look it up here. I, I got it down here, and uh, 
<clears throat> you know, first off, Lomachenko hasn't been so graceful about his loss over Teofimo Lopez. He wasn't when Salcedo beat him. Um, he definitely couldn't accept, accept it. He had a lot of issues on it. Um, but Doing, let me put down... the level of risk so he could demonstrate his greatness. Here. Let me see if I can get it up here on the overlay. Give me one second here. Yeah, back. And then tell me what you too. think, man. Because uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. you, you want to you fight at 135, you're a lightweight. But he's not a natural lightweight. And what, what Lomachenko found himself doing was upping the level of risk so he could demonstrate his greatness. And, and I, I know Dre disagrees with no, 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 no. but he but, he, <laughs> but he, kept, he kept upping the level of risk <clears throat> to demonstrate something that would last for all time. And eventually, he upped it too much. Yeah. I, I, and he I, fell. I'll, I'll give Lomachenko the credit for taking the fight. But I hear you, but we cannot give him that. We can't mm. say that this guy is all everything. Yep. And then say, but, you know, mm. it didn't work out his way, and that's because I'm, he's I'm not, not saying he was a favorite, too. He was the favorite. If you campaign no. at a weight class, you are in that weight class, whether it goes good or bad. Because Understood. if he won the fight, we Understood. weren't going to say he was a smaller but, but, guy. But, but, what I'm saying is that all the greats have to do I, that. I understand that. I understand that. I understand that. You if you understand that, then what are you complaining like about? But he's That's, not a natural I don't, I don't get that, Mark. Facts. You know, I, you know the thing is, like, he was a he was the he was the man to beat at lightweight. He had the you know he had the titles. Okay, he was the champion. So I I, I trip out when I see a lot of these uh, tribal fans coming out and defending a fighter because. Solely because you're you you can't accept it as much as this guy can't accept it, okay? Like, and I, and I said this to you. Um, I even said this in a tweet to G Funky. I was like, yeah, for sure, there, Nato. He did get the win there, man. Uh, that was what you call an Andre Ward jab. He jabbed oh, him, yeah. where he made him rethink about his stance of his argument. But I was saying to G Funky, I was like, okay, if that's the logic that you're using. Then, then you know what? Then they should not count the win they have over like Rigandau, who had to jump like literally three or two weight classes to face. Yeah, I was just about Lomachenko. to say that. Right? I mean, so, Rigo's a natural 118 pounder. We know that because now at age 39, that's where he's fighting. Okay. It's very rare for people to go down in weight as they age. It's because he was always a natural uh, 118 pounder, right? A natural bantam weight. Right. And he actually moved all the way up to 130. The fight, Lomachenko. Where were, where was the compassion and the there was the, none. The empathy and right. sympathy for why don't for, you hear Lomachenko fans saying, "Well, you know, this guy moved up and he got the win, and it's really you shouldn't really count it." Well, Mark Kriegel, that's what I'm hearing. Like, well, we shouldn't really count this loss here because you know he wasn't a natural lightweight. Then what what the fuck was your man doing in that division then in the first place? Why were we, why were I'm, we so excited? You know, rather yeah, than get, I mean, you he's know, he's also calling himself a champion. Exactly. You know, and and which which again, I, I you know, I never, I've never understood why we make excuses for fighters. I've always said, if you sign on the dotted line, you're gonna have to go out there, and if you don't have a good performance, you know, it's sometimes it's just not your night. For Lomachenko, you went out there with a wrong game plan. No, actually, you went in there with a good game plan. You were hoping. 
that Teofino Lopez, the takeover, was going to tire out. You mm-hmm. thought I could tire him out and then I could impose my will over you and take the fight. And it looked like that was happening in those late rounds there, Milkar. You can't, you can't not unsee what we watched the night they stepped in in October and tell me that this guy looked like he, he had no business in there uh, with Teofimo Lopez. I mean, he did. He looked like he had no business in there for the first, like, eight rounds. But later, he started stepping it up when he started actually letting his hands go. But yep. but he was he became subjective of any engagement when he felt the power of Teofimo Lopez in that first round. What, Mark Kriegel, if you're going to – and I like Mark Kriegel, first off, okay? I like him as a journalist Dang. because he actually Dang. goes out and 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 and, and goes to the gyms and he's talks to fighters. He's been on the beat for a long time. But Mark, that should be your argument is that, you know what? Lomachenko, Vasily Lomachenko was not the better man that night. No, he was not the better man last night. What did the night? kids say? Period. 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 Yeah. <laughs> or they might they might say that that was all cap from, yeah. from Mark Kriegel. You know? <laughs> oh. Cap, Mark. Here's another thing. Yeah. Lomo isn't moving down to weight, pride, money, and big fights still at lightweight. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so well, if we're, if we're going to go on on Lomachenko, I got to go in a little bit on Tilfima Lopez. I know that my fam, everybody here uh, that joins us and listens to us are, you know, we love Tilfima Lopez. He's the man. He's the it factor. Um, you know, he's the takeover. But you know what? I, I'm starting to... Uh, He's a shit talker, but dude, I don't know what it is right now where you, I saw him immediately after. Tell me if I'm wrong here, guys. Tell me if I'm out of pocket for even thinking this yeah. or even believing this. Okay, right. but he's, he's immediately after the fight of Canelo versus Smith. Um, he's standing there and he's talking to the fans. And I, I don't know who he was talking to, but a police officer uh, screamed out from the sidelines, hey, you know, uh, Tio, fight Lomachenko, shut him up. And Tio, uh, Fimo Lopez was like, no, why, why should I give him a rematch? He wasn't going to give me a rematch. Why should I give him a rematch? And it's not the first time he's, he has said this. He said this on other platforms and in front of other fans have asked him, give, you know, are you going to fight uh, Lomachenko again in the rematch? And even some of his followers, his hardcore followers now, the, the, you know, the, 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 the takeover crowd are yeah. in agreement with him. Like, yeah, he shouldn't give a rematch. I'm starting to wonder... Does he really feel like he won this fight based on solely skill? Or did he feel like he got lucky on that fight? Because I think he might feel like a lot of people feel, which is that Loma fought the wrong strategy and was too afraid to get hurt and felt that he had the experience to beat him in the later rounds, which he clearly did do well in the later rounds, but it wasn't enough to make up for obviously the, the rounds that he had given up early on. Um, right. But the guy that knows better than any one of us is Teo. He was I mean, in there with him. Yeah, and exactly, we can only exactly. judge him by what he's been saying. And whether it's to the police officer at ATT Stadium or whether it's to Max Kellerman on Max on Boxing, he's been clear about the fact that he does not want a rematch with Loma. And that's just such a turn off. And I'll tell you why, because as a champion... You know, why wouldn't you want to? I mean, um, unless he's like saying, listen, I, there's other fresh big fish out there to fry. You know, Devin Hanley, uh, 
definitely the winner of uh, Garcia and Campbell, which we're going to talk about here in the hour of leaving the ring. Uh, but yeah. I, 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 in terms of big money, is it wrong for me to still think that there's a lot of money to be made in a rematch with Lomachenko? And is it wrong for me to think that other champions have given other opponents who they clearly beat the opportunity in a match? Comes to mind right away is like, bro, you imagine a Roberto Duran who just beat, who had just beat uh, the the golden Leonard. child, Leonard. Say, in in say, Montreal at the, the Olympic Stadium in yeah. front of, what was it, like 80,000 people? Yeah, you imagine him saying, I don't want to give him a rematch. I'm not fighting him again. The backlash. The only thing he wanted was a, was a training camp that was long enough to let him lose the 200 pounds he was right. made. That was the only thing. And honestly, that was the only thing he brought up. He never brought up, like, this guy shouldn't get another match. This guy, da-da-da. You imagine the fighters in the 80s and 90s talking like that? You know, the, no. the, the turn of how these 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 fighters nowadays uh, converse with us fans, hardcore fans, okay, is really different, you know? Like, like, you shouldn't be left up to that decision of whether you fight this guy again. It should be, do the numbers make it, and do, do the public, do they want to see it? And the more he talks like this, I got to tell you, bro, I want to see this. I want to see a rematch really bad. Not just because of what he's saying by saying, I don't want a rematch, he doesn't deserve a rematch. Also because Lomo has been crying so much, he's, he's entered the Deontay Wilder conspiracy world so bad that I'm like, dude, this, is, this makes for a good match. I, am I missing something here? Guys, I mean, you know, I wish we could get some calls in about this, man. But uh, put well, I'm what actually, you guys I'm actually going to try to bring in a caller right now, Dave, now that you mention it. Um, I'm going to try to go through Bluetooth on my mixer because the USB, for whatever reason. I agree with Nato here, too, he said. I agree with Dave somewhat. Okay, and that's very rare that Nato agrees with me, never agrees with me. Lomo, <laughs> Lomo deserves a rematch, but doesn't, doesn't need it immediately. I agree with that. I think Lomo should Hello, fight. Dave, can you hear us? Hello. Yeah, there's there's something, something wrong off, with the yeah with the mix yeah, board. Don't, no worries, man. I would say I'm sorry, Dave. Yeah, I've done everything I can over here. No worries. We got a, we got so much here to talk about. There's no biggie. Yeah. I would worry about those phone lines later. But going back to my thought about not with Nato said Fernando had said here um, about the immediate match. I agree with you. I think like you know uh, Shakur Stevenson is really talking a lot about Lomachenko. Even even now he's even like propping himself up of being better. Uh, without even proving it, excuse me, without even proving it by saying that he would completely beat down Lomachenko worse than what Teofimo Lopez was able to do. I would love to see that fight happen, and they're both under the same banner. My problem is, though, is is Lomachenko too far down the rabbit hole the way Deontay Wilder? Now Deontay Wilder's talking about fighting other guys because I think he's starting to see the, the light at that tunnel that he may not get the the Tyson Fury fight uh, because there's a there's a, a major roadblock there in in the name of Anthony Joshua, right? When does Lomachenko start seeing that roadblock in in the fact that he may not get that opportunity because there is a big money fight there at, uh, with Campbell versus Garcia? That is a big fight there, and it's a it's, well, it's an interesting fight. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Um... And this is kind of going to go counter to what we've been saying, but mm -hmm. when it comes to Loma in this rematch, to me, it's you live by the sword, you die by the sword. 
I don't think Mr. Gary Russell Jr. got a rematch. And he's no. been screaming for a rematch for years. And that wasn't a unanimous decision. That was a majority decision. And um, I'd like everyone who can and who has the time to check out his interview with Brian Custer. I thought it was very good. I checked it out over the weekend. And he basically outlined all of the issues he had going into that fight. Um, beginning with the back-to-back-to-back sauna sessions he had to do Hmm. and how he just at that time didn't have the knowledge about kind of losing weight the right way. He's been screaming for that rematch with Loma for years and he he hasn't got it. And um, so I kind of find it ironic now that that Loma's uh, chasing the rematch now when he hasn't given a guy a rematch. But I do think that Teo should give him a rematch. But I also think that he should be rematching Gary Russell Jr. I think so too. Well, I don't know. Gary Russell fights one time, once a year. Um, According to them, that's because they're 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 saving the PBC fighters that, and they don't want them to fight him. He's with the PBC, right? And they haven't wanted him to to, to take on a, a, a Santa Cruz, who's who's very protected, or. Uh, you know, Mayweather, he's been calling for a tank fight. He's been saying he'll school tank, especially if it's at 130. And that's honestly a big fight for the Baltimore, D.C. kind of, uh, you know, uh, area, right? Right. It's definitely a rival there. And Tank is is avoiding that fight. He's, he says Gary Russell Jr. doesn't have a name. So <laughs> people well, don't want to fight him. No, I mean, look. This is this is where Gary Russell though is this is where he's wrong, Gary Russell Jr. Same thing yeah. with like Lomachenko, same thing with Deontay Wilder, what they're doing wrong. Uh really quick, on Andre Rodriguez. Lomachenko is still a big name out there. A guy that all the great fighters wants to fight. I think of all this talk from him is a desperate attempt to get a rematch, which is something Teal wouldn't do. Um yeah, we've been talking about that for quite some time. I think it's a tactic that he's using to get underneath the skin of Teofimo Lopez, but it doesn't look like it's working. But let me go back to what I was going to talk about here, okay? Yeah, all right. I'm, I'm, this is my thing. <clears throat> a lot of times, and, and if you go back to, let's go back to the current era of what we really watched, okay? Uh, I'm a 70 baby. I, watched the, I was in the you know, 80s and 90s, okay? But a lot of these guys, what they did in that time, if they wanted to solidify a fight or, or they wanted a fight because they lost, what they did is they cornered that fighter to give him no choice. And what I mean by that, the only fighter that I see right now that follows that model is Sean Porter. And that's why I like Sean Porter. Sean Porter loses to, to Errol Spence. What does he do? He starts fighting everybody else. Like he wanted Keith Thurman. He fought everybody else so that it just end up that you have to fight this guy. There's no way around it anymore. That's you know what I mean? He's the last man standing. You have to do that. I think that's what Lomachenko's got to do here, in my opinion. Okay. I get it. You want the rematch. I get it. Talk keep talking the craziness that you're saying. Okay. Keep keep convincing, you know, everybody. Uh, even the hardest cores of the Teofimo fans keep talking and trying to convince them that it's your man that doesn't want to have that rematch. It's your man that, that you know, is shying away of seeing how great he is. Keep doing that. But at the same time, don't waste your whole 
career on just that and not fight anybody. You got Shakur Stevenson. You got Devin Haley. Those guys, go out there, take those assignments so that you can see, like, like you can go back and see, like, okay, uh, 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 Lopez, you're going to fight these guys. Why? Why would you fight my leftovers? Here I am. I'm still standing. The great, you know, uh, uh, LaMotta, you getting his ass handed to him, cut up all over the place, the Valentine Massacre. What did he say to Ray Robinson? Hey, Ray, I'm still standing. I'm still here, Ray. You never took me. You never got me down, Ray. That's what Lomachenko's got to do. You never got me down, and you were supposed to be the power puncher on that night. Go that route. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if we'll see if it works for him. You know, I, I got to correct something that Andre Rodriguez said. He said Gary Russell is a guy that fights once per year, <coughs> a fighter without a belt that only fights one to twelve months is something hard to understand. Well, he actually does have a belt. He's the WBC featherweight champion. And as I alluded to earlier, I mean, I'm the only getting this from him. He he says that the PBC is protecting its fighters from um, from him. Which I'm not surprised. I, I just don't. I just don't think that that uh, the PBC really wants to have their fighters lose to Gary Russell Jr. And Which all that he gets are guys who I think are pretty good opponents. I mean, I think King Tug was a pretty good opponent. Um, oh yeah, we were up. You know, I, big on that fight. You know, and... I can't complain that he's taking a uh, complain about the fact that he's taking on these mandatories. I guess you could say that he should do kind of what a James Tony did back in the day, which is. Take on your 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 championship mandatories, and then between that, uh, fight a lot of tune-up fights. But um, he's been trying to get fights with Tank. He's been trying to get fights with Haney. He's been trying to get fights with Shakur. None of these guys will fight him. So it is what it is. Well, that goes back to saying, you know, I mean, well, like you said, he's saying it's PBC. Al Heyman is putting the roadblock there. Um, yeah. That kind of sucks, you know. That sucks for him, you know. But I go anyhow. Back you to, wanted yeah. to get to the to the big fight on let's Saturday, about, right, Dave? Let's we, talk about the big we got fight. A couple, here. We got a few minutes left, and we can get into that. Before yeah, we let's definitely up. get into the Ryan Garcia versus Campbell. I don't know the odds on that, guys. I'm sorry I didn't pull it up and stuff. I've been talking my ass off here. It is a talk show, so. <laughs> yeah. And we were trying to figure out the phone lines here and stuff like that. But if you want to put on your pick, uh, uh, get it on the record. Certainly do. Throw it up here on the chat room, and we'll put it up there. Uh, okay, let's break down this fight here between Ryan King Ray, whatever the hell you call his nickname and stuff. Uh, King Gar- Rye. King Rye, you know, Rye Bread. Uh, Garcia versus uh, Luke Campbell. Right. Let me go with you uh, here, uh, Amoko. Cool what do you think about Luke. this fight, man? Kuhan Luke. I think it's a very good fight, and it's also a fight that I'm looking forward to. <laughs> I was telling you this earlier. I, I like Ryan Garcia's style. Mm-hmm. I like his his, his quick hands. Mm-hmm. I love his hooks. Yes. Um, I kind of like the way he boxes tall. Do I do feel like he leaves his chin exposed a little bit too much sometimes. Um, but he has yet to face a guy with the pedigree of Lou Campbell. Um, and that's what makes for an interesting fight. It's a crossroads <laughs> fight. Lou Campbell is trying to finally get a crack at a world title and win all right this is an interim title i don't even know why the wbc has this as an interim title because at this point they've they got two other belts that are active in this division the franchise belt and uh the belt held by haney 
So I, I'm guessing the winner of this space is Haney. Um, but, you know, as I was telling you before the show, I do think that um, Reynoso has improved Garcia right. in the extent that, or to the extent that I was very surprised with the way he blasted out Duno and Fonseca. I was not expecting that. Right. I don't think any of us were expecting I, that. You got to be impressed I, by that. I, I just wasn't. Now, now let's see how that improvement or training translates over the course of what could be a 12-round fight. I think this will definitely answer those questions. Um, and this is why this fight is intriguing. Um, I don't really know how much more uh, adjustments Luke Campbell is going to be making. If I, I think that Shane McGuigan, that the son of the great uh, 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 Barry McGuigan, is training him now. Um, right. Very young uh trainer, probably around the same age as like Ben Davidson, uh, one of the young kind of up and coming uh, English trainers out there. And we'll see what kind of a game plan he he molds for for Luke Campbell and whether or not they've, you know, worked out different things and are going to work on different things in the ring. It, so many questions are going to be answered in this fight, which is why I'm, um, I'm very much looking forward to it. Luke Campbell is obviously... Uh, a bit shorter, um, but he's got a 71-inch reach. Uh, Ryan Garcia has a 70-inch reach, mm-hmm. so he's a, a, an inch taller, but an inch less reach. Like I said about the, the Tanaka-Ioka fight that's taking place in Japan, um, New Year's Eve, I think the jab is going to be key in this fight. Establishing the jab is going to be key for both of these guys. I completely I agree with that. You know, um, I had some thoughts about Teofimo Lopez, you know, really quick before I even lose that. I got to go back on this Teofimo <laughs> Lopez thing, man. I really do. I I, I really do. He's, 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 he's holding space he, in your head, he, man. He, well, well I know. He's, he did Joel a takeover. He's, he's done the takeover. He has real estate in your, in your head. <laughs> he's done the takeover here on, uh, on Leave in the Ring, man. Um, you know, we're leaving in the ring, that's for sure. Yeah. I don't think he's afraid. Let me, let me point that out. I don't think Tofimo Lopez is afraid to give Lomachenko a rematch. But I think what he is trying to do is not what everybody else has done, is give somebody an immediate rematch. We could possibly lose that those titles. And then he then big money's flushed down the toilet. And that's all I'll say. We'll, we'll definitely go on to another a, another time next week, maybe talking about Tofimo Lopez. But that's all I got to say. I just wanted to throw that out there before. Or maybe that. not, unless we want to call it the... Teofimo Lopez in the ring radio network. I don't know. <laughs> the takeover of leaving the ring. Uh, but going with Garcia, talk about the jab here from uh, Luke Campbell. Uh, he's an Olympian. Um, yeah, you know what, man? I know you're impressed. Uh, Eddie Reynoso, he's been, he's been with Eddie Reynoso. You said you've seen some things. Those knockouts could either been a, could have been a great boost for his confidence um, because yeah. he was struggling before Eddie Reynoso got into the camp, before he joined the yeah. Eddie Reynoso camp, or it could definitely have hurt him. You need rounds. In my opinion, you need rounds to fight a guy with a pedigree that Luke Campbell brings to the table. Okay? Speed, he yeah. has it. Garcia's got the explosive speed. Uh, you know, uh, he throws a beautiful left hook, a blinding left hook off the jab. Um I don't know how good his inside fighting is yet, okay? 
Um, he's always kind of been True. bigger than the guys that he faces. Luke is no different. But, you know, Luke, Luke to me has a lot more in the bag with with Ryan. Like, like if Luke decides to want to box box, I think Ryan's going to have some issues because he's going to have to catch Luke Campbell. I don't know if Ryan can cut the ring off. I don't know if he can push Luke back and, and get him against the rope, uh, you know, uh, not once but twice, more more times, okay? He's going to have to really slow down Luke uh, in terms of using the whole ring, which I think that's what Luke's going to do. He's going to, you know, he keeps talking about, I'm going to show this kid something he hasn't seen. And I think that's the thing that they should be working on. I think that's what they are working on. That because the fact that you don't know how good Ryan Garcia's footwork is. Can he, can he close the distance, okay, uh, when it needs to be closed? Uh, could he cut off the ring? Um, could he outbox the boxer in this fight? Because I can't. I don't know if I'm wrong about this, or can I? Can you really say that Ryan Garcia is the boxer in this fight? You know, I think he's the puncher. I, I haven't really yet labeled him as the boxer puncher. No, I, he's he's the guy with the flashy hand speed and the one hitter quitter. Um, we haven't really seen him have to box against <laughs> a high level guy yet, which is why this is really really exciting, and why I said it's a fight that's going to answer a lot of questions. Mm. Luke, at the very least, is going to ask a lot of questions, you know, um, and it's we're going to see if, if, you know, Luke Campbell, the Olympic gold medalist who's come up short as a pro, he's going to be a, administering a test and we're going to see yeah. if let's think about this. If, Luke if Ryan passes that test. If, if, let's see if he gets an A, a B, a C, a D or an F. Absolutely. And, you know. Andres says, do you guys think Luke is the hardest opponent Brian will face till now? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, Absolutely. look, look at Campbell's. Not even close. Exactly. Look at the, 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 look at the names on his roster and his, on his resume. Okay. On paper, uh, you, if you look at Ryan, there's not a lot of recognizable names. The guys that he has beat or, or either guys that are like, you know, really tough club fighters or guys that are on the come up where he was, you know what I mean? There was a lot of talks mm -hmm. about this so-and-so fighter. Ryan just seemed to be the better guy in the night, that night, okay? But you can't take away what Ryan has. And those are the obvious that we were just pointing out. But does experience, and we talked about this about the Ayoka and Tanaka fight, okay? Does mm -hmm. experience come to, to play in this fight? And that's one thing that I cannot take away from Luke. Uh, Mr. Blue put... Um, you know, the twitch of response, quick response from Ryan Garcia. That's something that I'm actually worried for Luke Campbell. Because if Luke Campbell's able to lance, you know, because here's the thing. I think Luke Campbell can fight a perfect fight. But if Garcia clips him, it could be over. And Luke's, Luke's, yeah. Luke's a tough kid. You know? He, is. he got hurt with Lomo, and he hurt Lomo. I mean, you know, uh, 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 you know. I mean, uh, Jorge Linares in the, all of the weight division, uh, everybody in that weight division, you got to say he's the best boxer puncher above all of them. Best, okay. His only Achilles is his jaw, and uh, so I mean, Luke Campbell went out there and was giving uh, Linares a run for his money. He was keeping up with Jorge Linares with Lomachenko, 
And I go again, even having the perfect strategy against Ryan Garcia could end just like that. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's my could. only and, word. Um, Ryan Garcia is is arguably, you know, could arguably the, the heaviest one-punch uh, kind of knockout guy that he's faced. I mean... Above, above, Teofimo Lopez. Lopez definitely isn't that guy. Linares definitely isn't that guy. And neither is uh, Yvonne Mendy. And those are his three losses. Mm-hmm. All two to top, um, top lightweights, all in very close um, decisions. I mean, the Linares fight was a split decision loss. The Mendy fight was a split decision loss. And the Vasil Lomachenko fight was a unanimous decision. But he hung in there till the very end. And was having success. He was having success, a lot more success than any other fighter that Lomachenko had stepped in with. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know the thing. Like I said, going back with 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 Luke is um, <clears throat> is again. Do you go with the more experienced, or do you go with the fresher? And you got it. You got to admit, not only is he explosive, the kid's explosive. He's fast. They call him the Flash. That was his original nickname, Flash uh, Ryan Garcia. Um, but his confidence, man, his confidence level is a, is of a champion level confidence without even doing, you know, doing the whole confidence, you know, you Um, mean Ryan? Yeah. Yeah. He, he's super confident. He's crazy. I think that's one of the, I think that's one of his best assets. I think you kind of need that confidence. It's the kind but it's gotta be guided. It's the kind of confidence that. Fernando Alfredo's Vargas had before he fought uh, Tito, you know? Uh, I like what Shushine said. He didn't have people reining him in. Yeah. I like what Shushine Boxing said. We don't know if Ryan Garcia is the next Amir Khan. This is true as well. But, you know, if he ends up being like Amir Khan, it's not bad. Not that. I mean, Amir Khan (laughs) won multiple world titles, so that ain't bad. But he's also been the victim of very bad knockouts and very bad matchmaking. Very bad. Moved up and all that, you know. But no, I I don't think that's a bad company because Amir Khan has been in some great fights. He just couldn't get that marquee fight, you know. I don't think they'll do that with Ryan Garcia. I think they're very carefully, like, moving him. And I think this Luke Campbell um, is a good matchup for Ryan Garcia to to move up, you know, and 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 test the waters. I think that Amir Khan proved his toughness. I know a lot of people question it because of the low blow and the way the Terrence Crawford fight ended. But if anyone wants to to know anything about Amir Khan's toughness, uh, you don't really need to look much further than the Marcos Maidana fight. That was a brutal fight, and he hung in there till the very end, despite getting hurt multiple times. And I also felt like the like he got the bad end of the stick against uh, against Lamont Peterson. I felt that that should not have been um, a loss on his record, especially since. Peterson uh, failed a, a drugs test after that fight. Yes. You would have thought that that would have just been reversed, but it wasn't. No. No, no, it wasn't. You know, um, look, Nalo says, uh, uh, definitely carries his chin like Amir Khan. That's what I yeah, want to see. I, I, For sure, you know Campbell's going gonna to expose that. And it's so obvious. And nobody's been able to really expose it because the explosiveness. Because it, it's a danger zone. Once you get in that little pocket, that that... In range of, of Ryan Garcia's left hook, 
That's what you got to be worried about. And that's what Campbell's going to have to be worried about. But Campbell's got a good right hand. When he throws it, it's going to land. So I, it's, this is a very, honestly, very good, interesting fight. That's what Bradis Prescott yes. was able to, to capitalize on. On on yeah, yeah, exactly. Over Amir Khan. You know? So yeah, dude, I think it's a I think it's a really good fight. Um I think honestly, man, it's really hard for me to say that this fight's gonna end early. Uh I, I could see a strongly possible chance that Ryan Garcia is gonna lose a lot of these rounds in this fight. And then I could see that Luke gets a bit too overconfident. And just stays in that pocket and actually does a Mercon thing, which is wait for that receipt. And Ryan Garcia lands something really big, you know. Or mm-hmm. it could be that Luke is so disciplined in this fight and is and he's on point with his trainers. And this is the game plan: never be there long enough to to get the receiving from the flash, Ryan Garcia. You know. I think that I honestly think that that's his path to victory. Luke, fight composed, but. Utilize the jab. Try to dominate the jab game, uh, and not don't necessarily try to trade flashy combination for flashy combination. Just stick with with your boxing, and if anything, wait for those opportunities where that chin is up kind of high. Yeah, and uh, you can possibly pull up Bradis Prescott. Other than that, box behind the jab. If he's able to bring what he did against Jorge Linares. I think this is going to be a one-sided deal for him, okay? Because, look, with Jorge Linares, he had to set traps. Same thing with Lomachenko. Um, and you're setting traps against very intelligent, high iq boxers here. I'm not saying that Ryan's not intelligent. Ryan executes when he needs to execute, and he's been very successful at it. But he's been a checker player at this point that we've seen his career. We haven't really seen him be a chess player in the ring. And, and in my opinion, he's going to have to bring a little bit of that facing Luke Campbell. That's if Luke Campbell's for some chance, has no legs anymore and decides to do the cardinal mistake, which is go after the young lion to see whether or not his, he does have sharp teeth and sharp claws. I just don't see him doing that. But uh, what was your pick again, really quick, Emil Carr? Because we got to get going here on leaving the ring. Yeah, my, my pick is kind of what people were saying about the Joe Joyce, uh, Daniel Dubois fight. If it um, ends early, Garcia, if it goes late, I, I, I'm going to start to favor Luke Campbell. If he can stay in there and not get blasted out. If Luke Campbell's there by the 10th, 11th round, uh, by the championship rounds especially, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm favoring Luke Campbell. The only thing is, will he get a fair decision in Texas? That's that's, that's Texas is one of those places where you never know what you're going to get when it comes to those scorecards. No, I agree with you on that. That definitely he's got to find out. We got, you know, um, well, you know, even that game plan that we're talking about that you're even mentioning right now, you know, his his stamina's got to be on point. He's got to be on point because I just don't see Ryan. You know what? This kid is so he's he's a youthful guy. I think he's hungry, you know, for fame. Uh, and he knows it's right there in his hand. And I see him stepping it up in those late rounds. I see Eddie Reynoso telling him, you you got to do something. You're going to have to create something. And that's when it's going to be that moment. So I agree with you. I think that I think that Luke Campbell brings a perfect plan, brings different faces to this plan that Ryan Garcia has yet 
to be tested with. Now, let's not say that Ryan hasn't seen it. He's been in the amateur, you know, uh, uh, circle for quite some time. Um, he's been around. It's not like he just kind of like showed up like a YouTuber, okay? Uh, you know, even though we make fun of the whole Instagram belt. Um, but he's been around. There's a reason why people and myself want to watch this kid. We just want to know if he's the next big thing because he looks like he has the potential to be the next thing. But I go with you. I think that Luke is going to do a lot of boxing, not make make very seldom mistakes. But I see Ryan picking it up on those late rounds, and I think Ryan gets a TKO over Luke Campbell. And I would I would have to go with like 10th or 11th round. I think he gets that win. Yeah, I, I can see that as well, Dave. <laughs> Somebody, uh, Dave Monte. I don't watch the guy, so if he did, I wouldn't be surprised because he copies everybody. You know what I mean? He has he doesn't have his own personality or his own anything, man. <laughs> so Are you talking about your background at home? Yeah, I mean, my, all my magazines. and I've seen a few people actually do that after, you know. Yeah, it is what it is, bro. We, we start the trends and everybody follows. <laughs> That's how it is here. No no biggie. I, it's, I actually think it's a compliment. I think it's a compliment when somebody does that and stuff. Uh, okay, man. Anyways, guys, uh, <laughs> now I hear the sound. Yeah. I, I was able to hear that now. Um, okay, well. <laughs> at the very end that's too bad and we'll get it right for next time guys absolutely man again everybody enjoy your weekend have a great happy new year uh hopefully everybody stays in wear your mask so we can get back to normal here uh anyways and no worries about that we're gonna be back next week we got our end of the year awards that we're gonna talk about but we first got to get through the ayoka and tanaka fight we got to see if that's what's gonna hold up to be the winner of fight of the year. Very excited about that. I'm Lokar, like always, brother. It's always a pleasure. See you guys next you, week. Dave. Do not drink and drive because you will spill your beer. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas Caballeros. <laughs> <laughs>